The boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm your number one fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> I am Dracula. We have such sights to show you. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of wolves and of children. What's in the fucking box? They're coming to get you, Barbara. One by one, we will take you. Never get out of bed again! You gotta be fucking kidding. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> no, don't play it again. Do it again. Do it again. again no, don't. No. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, just a little past 7 p.m. Central Time. And that means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast that needs trauma to spread. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live right here on YouTube every single Wednesday. So we hope to see you in the live chat. This week, we are covering select horror films released October 15th through October 21st. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and we got the OG trio here, Eugene and Rooster, Alex, the man. He always forgets my fucking name. I didn't forget your name. Yeah, okay. What's up, everybody? How you doing? Yeah, you hesitated, motherfucker. <laughs> you had to think about it. Oh, uh, yeah, you had to. Scoot it in here. It's like fucking frozen. You hesitated. <laughs> so, I'm so glad to have some co-hosts here this week because I'm not going to lie. Last week, last week was rough. So, was it rough? Last, week, last week was rough. Just kind of running it by myself. Number one, fucking power outage. And like right in the middle, like right, like right in the second, like in the right in the middle of the werewolf uh, R and R film, and I was like in, in the middle of I am Lisa, and I'm like son of a bitch, and I was on a roll too because I was talking about like technical shit, and uh, so I was going, and then all of a sudden it cuts out, and then it was just me, and I, I mean it just sometimes a solo show goes go it goes really good, sometimes it doesn't, and I just I was like I was not impressed with myself at all, and I was like Listen. oh I was I was. Five seasons in, and this is the first time I've ever heard you bash on one of your solo shows. I think that's a pretty good fucking record. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I think I do pretty well. And it's like last night, oh, the last week, I was just kind of like, oh, that. I was I was off my game. I think what it was was we had we were talking about movies, uh, specific films that really required. I think I think more input like just like more more perspectives just i would have loved like you i would yeah like johnny and eugene's their perspective like you know either one of them their perspective on the technical problems of i am lisa or yours or aaron's in some of the uh so the other films we're talking about they would have been fantastic to to kind of add to mine so like maybe maybe y'all would see things that i didn't see or pick up on stuff so i was kind of like i wish we had that but there was a bunch but not to mention it's just it just wasn't one of the we've had some bad strain we've had some bad ones that was not that was not the worst, but it's definitely I would say top ten. You know, say top, it was like in the top ten of not our best, not our best shows. But that, I think this one's going to be amazing. Yeah, that's not bad. I that's, think this one's going to be pretty. That's good. not bad. I mean, we will we will always always go back to when we did the doubleheader. 
I think that's still oh. the worst one. <laughs> that will we get so to movie number nine. Worse, sure. We we got halfway through the second episode. There was just no fucking energy. It's just like, and the next movie we're talking about is gonna be. It's like, well, gee, guys, really, you, you sound like you enjoy what you're doing. You really do. We've been doing oh, this for right. eight fucking hours, J.O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just to just to maintain that schedule, just to maintain that schedule for all of you, for all of you. It was, it was, it, I'm not blaming you, but I'm blaming you. But nonetheless, no, I'm, I, I can't. But really, I can't. But, really it was your fault. but here's the deal. It was it was kind of like it was it was kind of a screwed if you do, screw if you don't kind of situation because right. you're talking about power outage, man. We got hit over on this side. I'm in far north Fort Worth and I'm in the middle of nowhere. So we're on like co-op power. So our power is iffy at best, but we live, you know, in the middle of what used to be ranches. And so it's just flat and our transformer down the road. I've physically watched it. I've walked into the house after a long ass day. I'm like, ah, yes, the storm's about to start. We're going to be able to sit here and watch movies. And I look out the window at the same time my wife does just to see our transformer get struck by fucking lightning and explode. <laughs> so it happens all the time. And we had this gnarly <laughs> storm last Wednesday. It was insane. I got videos of the lightning because I was like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And of course, you know, it was like, yeah, this is great. And you yeah, see, and, and see, last week everything. it was last week. It was a storm tonight. Like insane. today, we're under a wind advisory right now. It's so windy. So we got the wind Here's advisory. Windy, it's yeah. because, you know, you know, I'm in Oklahoma and it's, I'm on the plains it's and flat. the wind comes sweeping in. <laughs> Okay, I know somebody got that reference. Come that. on, come on. My my wife hates that musical, by the way. She Angela fucking hates that. She's like, oh, because I was like, man, this wind is really sweeping in off the plane. She's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, Lucky I'm not going to complain about it not being 110 degrees anymore. It was like Good 69 point. degrees when I walked in my house. Like, yeah. thank God. That's so. That's the one thing is with the storm last night. We just finished up filming. And we had to move everything out of the house because uh, a woman and her infant are coming in. We were filming in this house. So we just moved everything just outside. We're packing up stuff. Oh. All of a sudden, it drops like 20 degrees. <laughs> and we're looking. We have a camera still out. We have lights still built on stands, hmm. monitors up. And we're like, oh, so we're going to have to pack things in priority off cost. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. camera first. <laughs> Anything that cannot have condensation in and or around it, please get yep. it in the car. Oh, my God. The moisture's getting its high. No, no. <laughs> oh, my God. JL flashbacks to. We're just like, leave it. Leave it. <laughs> flashbacks to a security project, JL. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yes. I recall that cameras. crap. Fucking hell. All right. Well, first and foremost, let's get our banner up there. There's our amazing patron uh, Patreon banner. Ooh. All the amazing people helped to make the show possible. We do appreciate your support, y'all. Thank you very, very much. And if you would like to, you can get your name on the banner as well. So check out our Patreon. It's The link is down in the description. And let's see who we have in the live chat tonight before we dive into tonight's selections. Because I have some interesting stuff coming up. But let's see what we got. Beautiful people. Let's see. Raven Darkstar's here. Good to see you, Raven. Thanks so much for being here, hon. We appreciate seeing you. Who is first in like, you know, seven hours ahead. So we do appreciate that, Raven. Thank you. Casey Cooper's here. Good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for being here, Casey Cooper. Robert Biter as well. Good to see you. Thanks so much for hanging out. I see Travis Brown is here. There is the man. Says, evening, guys. I'm headed to the shower right now, so be right back. Good to know. Good to know, You bud. have a great time in there. I hope everything yes. works out for you. Yes, it does. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, let me see here. Who else we got in the chat tonight? Casey Cooper's in the house. Good to see Casey Cooper, as well as Andrew Rivera. Thanks so much for being here tonight. 
Good to see you. Um, I see Sherry Tilly is here. It says, hey, guys, sorry I missed last week. Real life been kicking my butt. Definitely kick it right back in the cojones because that's all you can do with life. But I hope everything's uh, easing up for you now. So I'm glad to see you, Sherry. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let me see. Who else we got in the, in the live chat? Um, Sir Chasm is here. It says, good evening, fellow zombies. Good to see you, Sir Chasm. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Aaron Reese is holding down the fort in there. Good to see you, Aaron. Thanks so much for being here and uh, keeping everyone busy. Joshua Lee is here. Good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for hanging out. Sir Kevin says, we're late. Either jail has no power or Eugene or Johnny are going to be here. <laughs> delays, delays, delays. Uh, Dr. Nimrod is here. Good to see you, Dr. Nimrod. Says, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. And I think uh, Charlie Welch. Welchie, the only man on the internet never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie. Thanks so much for being here tonight. As well as Tang Whistle CPM. Good to see you. Tang Whistle hangs out with a lot, uh, hangs out with us a lot over on the Discord. Good to see you, Tang. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, spooky Month. How's everybody's Spooky Month going so far? Going Fucking good? Awesome. Fucking what? great. <laughs> no? Nothing, Eugene? All right. Nothing? Oh, I thought, I thought you were going first. Also, see, it's been too I, long since we had like the... Know, like, hold on. Like, yeah, we're not in sync right now. We got to do our... All right. All right. Synced up. <laughs> No, but I just had a funny story because he said that, and we're trying to up our our decoration game because you know we we can decorate our yard because we're adults, and apparently you can do adult shit like that now. Mm-hmm. And so my wife's outside putting up these little black cat silhouette things, and my stupid dog looks out the window and thinks there is like seven cats in our front yard <laughs> and just goes absolutely ape shit. It was fantastic. You so fucking so cats. Great. He's just going nuts. He, I'm, I'm like, they're fake. So I had to like, you know, yeah, it was great. It was fun. He's going, they outnumber us now. Get them out of here. Which is funny because we've got three cats in the house. So he's like, the ones outside are bad. The ones, I don't know. He was confused. It was kind of sad. But yeah, it was a good time. And I see Joshua Lee says, yes, the unholy trinity. That's right. We are the unholy trinity. The original three. The ones who kicked it all off. Who kicked it in the pants and got it going. Um, let me see who else. And I appreciate that everybody who said, I, I said, Tango said you did a good job with a bunch of external interference. Appreciate that. Ravenark said it was a minor hiccup. And Casey Cooper says, it wasn't that bad, JL. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. I do like that. Aaron Reese says, JL had trouble working up a monologue. Isn't that like a frat boy needing little blue pills? Yes, it is. <laughs> that is absolutely fair. It's absolutely fair, Aaron. It absolutely is. Uh, let me see. Oh, now everybody's fucking singing Oklahoma. Yes, I see that in the chat. NANA is here. Good to see you, NANA. Careful, because Angela will just straight fucking cut that audio like right out of the podcast. the fucking door in, rips the You're done. And clipped. She just mutes Alex just completely. We don't need that anyways. NANA, good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for being here. Uh Aaron Reese says, where the wind goes sweeping down the plains and causes a dust bowl, killing and displacing millions. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that. Oh, no. Back to reality. Appreciate that. Yes. Great depression. <laughs> Javier Hara is here. Good to see you, Javier Hara. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Tesla Radio as well says, still need to get a Chucky doll in my attic window for the scary night. Fuck yes, that would be awesome. And I think I got everybody. Yes, I did. I've seen everybody. So good to see everyone. And if I missed you, I apologize. But I think I, I, think I said hi to everybody. And uh, but we got stuff to talk about. So I came before we dive into tonight's movies. Oh, 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 and a huge thank you to NANA for gifting one week in horror membership out there. Oh, Hell yeah. and look yes. at that. And it finally came up in StreamYard. 
Yep, it definitely did. They finally brought it up at StreamYard, so now I don't need to look at the live chat there. Yes, unless I'm doing the uh, unless we're doing the uh, the trivia question. So awesome! Thank you so much, Anna, who gifted one week in horror membership, and wh- I don't see who it went to, but uh, appreciate that, Anna. Thank you very much. Very very Thank generous. Thank you. So this is this is really really fascinating, and because we're filmmakers, and I love you know we, we talk about this stuff all the time. So are you guys familiar? With a content, and let me know in the live chat if you're familiar. Are you familiar with a content creator named Andrew Bowser? Uh, name sounds vaguely familiar. Okay, seen some of the work, but not not very familiar. Yeah. Okay, so if you've seen the clip, like seen the videos where he he's the weird guy who like responds to things going on, like you might remember him as the as the weird Arby's guy. Who mm-hmm. like and what he'll do is he'll take like actual like footage of something and he'll intersplice himself himself into it. So like he took like a news report that was of a woman who accidentally crashed her car into an Arby's, and then they did like interviews with the employees to like get their to you know, get their takes what happened. And he cut himself like giving an interview as a part of that, like dressed as an Arby's employee, and it was like <laughs> really really weird. So it's like he goes off on these like these weird esoteric rants and shit. He's a very very kind of like weird guy. So he definitely he, so he's he's done several videos like that. Um, he's got a beard, black hair. Okay, so no, nonetheless, so Andrew Bowser has a very solid channel. His channel is out there. I think it's like Bowser Film, something like that. But um, he writes, directs, produces his own he stuff. Did, oh shit! He did the Pokemon one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The weird Arby's guy. Yeah. So Aaron. Oh, Aaron is as, as long as it's not the weird Subway guy. No, the weird Arby's guy. So if you check that out. Like, you know, Andrew Bowser does really, really good stuff. Really, really funny shit. And um, so he was building his channel and I was kind of like, I was aware of him. I was aware of his side. I'd seen it before. And I was like, oh, this guy's pretty kooky. As it turns out, he has finagled that character into his own movie. The character he's created, mm-hmm. he's finagled into, into his own film. And it released, it's doing a limited release for one night, October 19th. Is when this movie comes out, Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. And mm. we're gonna show you the trailer right yes. now. Yes. So let's check let's this bad it. boy out. Cue up the terror two. Yes, so that was the trailer for Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. You know, it it looks pretty funny. It's definitely a type of movie, as long as it doesn't take itself seriously, which it looks like it's not going to. That's right. going to be something that's just super fun. Um, then I'm all for it. I think the production value looks great. The way it was like the devil at the drive-thru looked really good. The giant <laughs> animatronic. Uh, it looks like it has really good practical effects. And it's something that could just be just really fun. Maybe even just like family-friendly fun. This I got my introduction to him and after I figured out who it was i was like oh shit that's right yeah and he's like he's the perfect amount of awkward isn't he yet i I got him on (laughs) he did like a news interview it was like a pokemon go um like you know the news took to the streets and they found these people playing pokemon go and he gave this fuck it was great go check it out um you'll see him at the very early and then he just gets better from there that's gonna be it's gonna be great like you said eugene i don't think it's gonna take itself seriously at all because he doesn't ever and uh, I, I think this is going to be fun. So, yeah, his, uh, his YouTube channel. 
So his YouTube channel is Bowser Vids over on YouTube. You can check out all of the shorts and all the, the fun stuff he's done. But as far I wanted to bring this up because he ran, he's finagled his character into its own film, into its own feature film. And it's you know, it's backed by Screenbox and a number and plus his own production company, which is fortuitous films. And if you look at I me, mean, I he's hit the nail on the fucking head. Number one, it's an amazing character that's really, really funny. It lends itself to this type of to this type of like the, you know, theme and film and like horror and fantasy. Um, but he's also got Olivia Taylor Dudley starring this, who you remember from the as who was Alice in the Magi- in the Magicians. So, and then he's also got uh, Terrence C. Carson, who was the voice of Kratos in God of War one through three. Uh, he has got Barbara Crampton, so legendary <laughs> like Scream yeah. Queen Barbara Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs in this movie, and Ralph uh, Ralph Innocent and Ralph Innocent you remember from uh, he was in The Witch and he's been in a number of horror films as well. So he's managed to round out a fantastic cast for this movie. Uh, some horror legends in there, and it looks from the trailer looks funny as shit. And I cannot, I, I'm definitely when because it, it's backed by Screenbox, so likely it's going to be on streaming. Uh, if you have a Screenbox subscription, I do. So I'm I'm looking forward to checking this one out. But I wanted to show you guys that yeah, all it takes is that one character you cultivate on YouTube, build that sucker up, and then you can go run with it. Now he's got his own fucking movie. That's awesome. I'm, I'm so, so happy for him because, I mean, the movie look, it doesn't look low budget at all. So it's right. not like it's something that's like, oh, we kind of scraped together a little bit of cash just to do something for something. Like people are really serious about it. And at least with the namesake, be the pulling a couple of names, you gotta, you want the actors, you gotta pay them uh, that salary. So they definitely had a good size budget for oh, like a small indie film. So And, and he, he wrote it, he wrote it, he's directing it. He's he's partially producing it and he's starring in it. So the guy's wearing four hats for the movie. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he seems he's like he's got like, the energy to do it though. Yeah, like like his first movie out, he's pulling the straight Kevin Costner, and yeah, I know I think he's gonna I think he's gonna kick it in the ass. I think it's gonna be. And I you can guarantee Travis Brown. I will definitely I will definitely be checking this out. I will definitely make sure I have a copy in my personal collection. I will buy this movie and make sure that Andrew uh, Andrew and his crew get what they deserve, and we will definitely have a watch party on this bad boy. I definitely want everybody to get a chance to see this one. So lo- fucking loving the idea that he got that. But there you go, man. A huge success story uh, for Andrew Bowser, who segue, who like like tr- transitioned this little, this kooky character he made on the internet, Onyx the <laughs> Fortuitous, and transitioned it into a full-fledged fucking feature film. So big, huge congratulations to him, and I wanted you guys to know about that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right. So we have got some intriguing films to talk about tonight. Well, a couple of intriguing ones. One and one that and one I won't lie, really fucking pissed me off. So, but we'll get to that. Uh <laughs> I think I already know which one. I think you know which one it is too. Right. So, Eugene, why don't you kick us off? What do we have up first? All right. Well, first, we're starting off with Return of the Return of the Living Dead released October 15th, 1985. Uh no, wrong one. Wait, it's Return of the Living Dead 1985. Yeah, that... No, Rave to the Grave 2005. So Rave to the Grave 2005. October 15th, 2005. <laughs> yeah, Wait, no, I'm looking at the script. It says Rave to the It says Return of the Rave to the Grave. It says RTTG. Maybe you didn't see that. Rave to the grave. Thank you. I didn't have enough space to type out the whole fucking line, man. You don't realize how long this goddamn title is? 
<laughs> I th- so I thought you made a mistake because I was like, oh yeah, Return of the Living Dead, like 1985. So I was like, oh okay, maybe like there was just something. And I was on the RTT. I was like, huh. You don't trust I know. You don't trust I know what I'm doing. It's like, what the, like, what's you got all these extra letters in here for, man? What are you doing? It's not 2005. It's 1985. It's okay. I totally, I'm totally prepared to talk about Return of the Living Dead, 1985. Yes. So, yes. Rave to the Grave. So, Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave. October 15, 2005. Take it away, bud. Do you need a moment to pull up the actual information? I want to do it while you play the trailer. Roll Let's it. check out the... Let's check out this trailer. This is going so well. <laughs> I just like the airstrike. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is Return of the Living Dead, Rave from the Grave, which was directed by Elroy Ackman, uh, starring Amy Lynn Chadwick, Corey Hardrick. John Keefe, Jenny Mullen, and Peter Coyote. And from fucking what Peter I... Co- fucking Peter Coyote was in this shit. <laughs> <laughs> fucking amazing. And what I can gather from the trailer, <laughs> you have a brain <laughs> that's going on, and zombies attack them. Pretty much, yeah. There's not yes. much. <laughs> there's 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 not much to go after this. Like I mean, that's pretty much the breakdown. You know, like zombie outbreak. There's a party that's. It's really so. This film is, I think, what the fifth film in this franchise or this series. <laughs> Number five, and it's considered like the worst of the franchise. It recycles so many fucking plot points. All the elements, all the jokes are used. You know, from previous. Um, from previous movies there's just no originality in it at all whatsoever there's like shitty acting you got cheap special effects there's a lot there's no tension there's no scariness to it at all it's it's just it's just beat to death i mean this thing went straight to dvd there was no theater release for this at all um and it got like mostly negative reviews um it, it was just in a, a desperate attempt cash grab you know, you yeah, can kind, of kind of trying to bank off the popularity of the series, I guess. Um, well, they have. It, it looks it like they had. The first film was good. It looks like they had the they they had the money to essentially film both ones, so they they they're gonna they're gonna try and eke out as much as they can. So, like, really try to squeeze the last drops out of this franchise. Oh, for and sure. And so, after the third film came out, you know, you you st- we started seeing the diminishing returns in uh, after the third one hit. And so they had it's like, well, let's try and squeeze out the last bit we got. So they filmed two more. They filmed both of them. Like they filmed these like back to back. So yeah. it was uh, Necropolis, uh, Return of the Living Dead Necropolis, followed immediately by uh, Rave to the Grave. And so that's why there's not much plot here. So essentially, they just they, they got Necropolis in the bag, and then it's like, okay, well, let's just punch out a fifth one real quick since we already have the locations and the actors everybody said because they shot this over in Romania and the, and the Ukraine. So they used actors and locations that were already established. They just kind of like, okay, let's uh, shoot it over here. You know, like just let's just do a quick movie to throw it in there. That's why there's virtually no plot points. Like they discover the trioxin and then someone like, for some reason tastes it. Like, why would they taste the shit in this fucking decrepit barrel that's been sitting there? And then they go like, Oh, but if they take too much, they turn into a zombie. And then it, you know, like the pill, like they get turned into pills and sold as drugs. Then they go to a rave and everybody had the zombie outbreak. And I will say this, the coordination for the rave scene, when the big breakout, everything's going to fucking crazy. Big group, big group shoots like that are always kind of like chaotic, and they can uh-huh. be kind of difficult to shoot. And I'm, I'm, I was like, I was impressed. This is not bad. 
not bad for as cheap as the fucking movie was, but there's they can't save this movie. Like you said, no. it's just completely derivative. They just took stuff from that was in Necropolis, reused it in the fifth one, and said, yeah. let's just parse out a quick movie that we can put together and throw in the old jokes. That way we can drop these on DVD because they were direct to DVD releases, and we can just kind of like, you know, stagger it out to get a little bit more money because people will jump all mm-hmm. over it. I stand by I stand behind my statement that mid 2000s is the worst time for horror films. I stand behind that. You got the <laughs> 04, 05, 06. Yes, I know somebody will still. Yes, are there good horror movies that came out during that time period? Yes, but as a whole, the amount of horror movies that came out, most of them are bad because most of them you're starting to get that straight to DVD crave, right? And you're starting to get the rise of digital cameras. So now it's getting cheaper and cheaper to make films, and you have this combination where you get these really, really bad films. And we're going to talk about three of them today, this being the first one. <laughs> There's, there's, there might be a theme there. Uh, Raven Darkstar says, uh, "We can or come on, going to say it's worse than oh, I think that was Zombievers, Beef Zombies, Zombievers or Zombie, uh, uh, Zombies, Dino Zombie, Shark Zombie. That there was like Aquarium of the Dead was a it was an intriguing yeah, one. Was, all, yeah. Like the the these zombie animals, they're all fucking CG, like the zombie octopus and shit. It was like what the fuck ever. But this one, the problem was is that." Those ones you watch because they're cringe or they're un- or they're intentionally hilarious. Like the zomb like Zombievers actually was entertaining because it doesn't take itself seriously. And the and the, the zombie beavers look fucking ridiculous. And there's a room for a lot of like beaver jokes in that. Haha, the zombie beaver is going to eat yeah, your they beaver. Had, they had the little puppets and exactly. stuff. Exactly. Like, yeah, okay. it was fun. It was like it was like trauma. It's like trauma. It doesn't take itself too, you know, too egregiously seriously. It's not trying to, it's like, come on, Toxic Avengers, like, you know, class of Nukem High. They're just trying to tell a, a, an, an entertaining story. They're just trying to entertain. Whereas this one is just kind of like, you know, we've got some money. Let's just kind of like parse out and just get as you try to milk it as much as we can. And it was a shame because Return of the Living Dead, you know, it, there's Night of the Living Dead. There's the, there's Romero's and there's Russo's. And Return of the Living Dead started off on fantastic ground. It gave us, uh, you know, Leanna Quigley and that amazing first film. The second one wasn't too bad either. The pro- And, of course, you know, uh, you had, um, oh, what's her name in part three? Uh, oh, God, she's a hottie. Damn it. I can't remember her fucking name. It's the one with all the glass and shit in her face. And uh, I'll remember here in a second. None to mention, the first three were not bad. But the one thing that kind of killed this killed Return, because as you see, like, Romero zombies have gone on to, like, seven films, seven or eight films. Okay, so they, they started going direct to DVD as well. You know, they you know, stopped seeing theatrical releases. But they were able to go longer, because at least in Romero's, there was some sort of, like, commentary that people could could identify with. There was some sort of commentary on society itself or an aspect of society or on like something that it, it asked a question and then examined it with zombies being the extreme. Whereas in Return of the Living Dead, it's just, you know, self-referential humor and, you know, you know, kind of badass zombies. Like Tar Man is pretty bad. They even brought Tar Man back for this one just because oh. they had nowhere else to go with it. Just like, let's throw Tarman in there for like, oh, go on. Tarman wants to go to the party. And then he's like walking out of the brains. That was not necessary, but they throw it in there because they can. And unfortunately with Return, that those diminishing returns are going to catch up with you really, really quick. And interest started to fall off after three because it's not really doing anything new. All it's doing is kind of like ramping up the gore or seeing how ooky or, or icky we can make it. And that doesn't really get you there. 
you know? But see, what's really frustrating is it's like, okay, so they this they given up and this is clearly a cash grab. But in that same time frame, you're getting Dawn of the Dead remake. You're getting 28 days later. You're getting yeah. Shaun of the Dead, all like within this same time period. So there's still a lot of untested things that you can do with the zombie genre, and you can have it return to greatness. They just didn't care. <laughs> they did not. They did not. Nope. This like not not even close. And when you talk about like zombievers and zombie strippers and zombies, all zombie shark and all the other kinds of stuff, those are meant to be over the top fun. They're meant to sit down and you have popcorn with your friends and you make fun of it and you laugh and it's just so ridiculous, outrageous. But even if you take a movie like Sharknado, at the bare minimum, they're at least trying to achieve something. And, Agreed. And yeah, they're, they're trying to entertain, and they're trying to they're trying to create something that's memorable, which is exactly what they did. Because people will talk about Sharknado way more than other better films that came out that same year. This is nothing. Yeah, and and to bring it up, Sir Casimir brought up the token stoners weren't even funny. So much potential wasted. Pun intended. Uh, good, 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 good pun there, sarcasm. Well done, well done. Raven, uh, Raven, Darkstar says, "Oh, forgot about the Japanese horror ass zombies. Even ass zombies was better than this thing. Okay, they could have at least that. That's the whole point. That the whole fucking production is just lazy, and everybody's just kind of like you know, it's just they're just cookie cutter performances. That's all it is because everything, nothing is new." And everything that they, that they try to add in or something, something like a new character, it's all boring because it's all stereotypical shit that you expect. There's no nuance, no character development. There's no arcs whatsoever. It's literally just discover trioxin, make trioxin into a drug, drug gets released, zombie outbreak, boom, and then it's done. And it's kind of like there was nothing there. You don't care about anybody. You don't really care about what's going on. The whole intention of the film being released to direct-to-DVD uh, uh, or actually it was made for television, made for television, then it went straight to DVD release. The whole intention of what was just to milk the very last drop out of this this franchise that is you know delivered all it can. We're still five years out. When this release, we're still five years out from The Walking Dead. When The Walking Dead would truly revive the zombie franchise and start really generating, you know, giving people the own or the popularity or the market, uh, I would say the 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 that area of the, like market. the marketability, like a resurgence. Yeah, where yeah, exactly. And so then we would get you know more an intro, more interesting stuff. Um, but unfortunately, like it was a shame that this, I I would, I know why it existed. It's purely a money thing. We've got the actors, we've got the locations. Let's just put together another fight. You know, I mean, the, the actors don't care. They're going to get paid either way. So it was like, oh, another film, and we're already here. Sure, let's fucking do another. Let's do another one. It's going to be super cheap and easy, and well, we're going to get paid <laughs> the like, exact same. They're like, so they're like, the last one sucked. You want us to do it again? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, as an actor, I'll be who turns that down? I'm already right. here. I got paid. Oh, you want to do another one? The exact same fucking thing? Less story? I don't even have to think about my character now. I'm just going to play the exact same character from the previous film, and you're going to pay me again? Fuck yes. Let's do it. Easy paycheck. I'm Done. I'm in. Yeah, it's you know, just everybody going through the motions. That's it. You know, yeah. there's well, you don't need a table read to get your actors and the characters because they're all one-dimensional. Uh, cinematography is just run-of-the-mill. Okay, standard this, standard that. We're not going to push anything. And obviously, this one come out in 05, you're kind of on the heels of Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later. Like I said, right on the heels. I think Dawn of the Dead came out in 04. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 20 days later, it came out maybe 04 or 05. So you kind of ride on the heel. So they're trying to drop that little nugget in of hopefully people still on that zombie high from a couple of good zombie movies. And then you kind of push very similar to when you had Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing came out. Yeah. And then there's a little known movie called the young Van Helsing that came out the same year that was trying to market off of uh, Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing. And let me tell you, it's bad. It's yeah. really bad. So, yeah, the kicker, and it's a shame that that such a beloved franchise kind of went in this direction. Now, now, um, Raven Darkstar brings up that's because Walking Dead is about the survivors, not the zombies. Exactly, Romero zombies, Romero zombie films were never about zombies. They were always about the people, and they were always a reflection of like society today, or it was a commentary on something that's going on in society, like something that we need to address. And the zombies were there as kind of like the thing that pushes that you know pushes it to that extreme where we must suddenly address this. That's what drove that. It was always about the characters that were living. It was about the people trapped in the house in night. It was about the people trapped in the mall in in uh, dawn. It was about the people trapped in the military base in uh, in uh, day. So it's always about the people. Whereas Return has always been, you know, like entertaining characters, but the zombies were always the draw because the zombies were different than than Romero zombies. The sham, you know, they weren't the shambling ghouls. Then it was like you know um, Snyder who brought in like the 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 zombies that could run like a fort like a you know, like a four second 40 is like, Oh, just coming after you and made zombies scary. And then of course, you know, people who were willing to do different things like Shaun of the dead and 28 days later, you know, cause you know, Danny Boyle brought that Edgar Wright brought that, which was fucking amazing. And then when walking dead came out, it kind of revitalized the whole franchise that we get interesting shit like warm bodies, which I thought was fast. It was a fascinating, you know, uh, film and adaptation from a graphic novel. It just, it was just a shame to watch return of the living dead go this direction. Fortunately, we still have the, the original three, um, but for Necropolis and Rave to the Grave, not great. Just kind of like, you know, milking that poor franchise for everything they can because it just didn't have much else to deliver. Um, yeah. A huge, thank even... you to, a huge thank you to Elizabeth S., who's been a member for two months. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, been yeah. a member of thank the Army you, of the for two months. Thank you, Elizabeth. We appreciate that support. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's just what Joshua Lee says is those movies ask you who the real monsters are. Right. And- that's what that's what it makes you think about is what's more dangerous the zombies or the survivors and do you have to become a monster to survive in that world is another question like walking dead asked because you have rick rick has done a lot of bad things to survive despite like starting off trying to be a good person so it really makes you question morality in a survival situation and the links that people will go to and stuff like that is fascinating you can dive into all these different character points and really show the complexity of human nature Uh, and and then you have this that is just the opposite of that of nothing right it couldn't even accomplish what the original one did because you know return living dead I love, I fucking love, I love, I live, live and die by that movie. I thought it was amazing. And what, where they took the, where they took the direction of like zombies, I thought was fantastic. And so Return of Living Dead or Return of Living Dead part two and three were always, are always going to be, uh, you know, like, you know, like classics in my mind, but four and five easily forgettable and a damn shame that the, uh, that the franchise went that direction. Yeah. It's such a shame. Well, well there, so... is, there was a proposed possibility of rebooting it. Of rebooting the franchise. Now, I don't think, but I think that was derailed. I think, if I remember correctly, that was derailed by the pandemic. Um, I think, yeah, I think there was a, there was like you know a, they were they were thinking about doing that, and then unfortunately, 
I think they were derailed by the pandemic is what happened. I'd have to double check. Um, uh, honestly, a why? Because oh no, no, no! I fucked up. July twenty two, July of this year, twenty twenty three. They announced a reboot to the franchise. They are going to reboot I, Return of Living Dead. So the problem with zombie franchises is because zombies are such a generic type of villain. It's not like you have a Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers. Does it need to be Return of the Living Dead? Does does it need to be? Because anybody can make a zombie movies. No one has a copyright on just zombie movies as a total. So they can anybody can play basic zombie movies, and it's just a matter of copyright over just a title. And if you don't get the copyright, you just change the title and you still release the movie exactly how it is. So I don't yeah. know what the point would be. Oh, and by the way, that was uh Melinda Clark. Melinda Clark was the uh the uh the hottie who was in part three, who was sticking to like the nails oh, and glass yeah, and shit. Yeah, Mindy that was Clark, Melinda. Right. That oh, was okay, Melinda. Yeah. That was a Melinda Clark. I, so, it's just it, you gotta think about. It. I'm sorry, I'm gonna chime in real quick. You gotta think about this. This came out in 2005. Was Dawn of the Dead came out in like 2004, I believe. I'm trying to look it up. Yeah, 2004. Like you get something like Dawn of the Dead out there, and it's got one of the greatest fucking lines in it ever, where the cop is like, "Shit rose downhill," and it's just <laughs> it, 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 classic. And then you come out with this shit, and you're like, "Fuck." <laughs> sorry, I'm no, done. I mean, this, yeah, that is. I mean, it's completely true. It's this, that's what's so frustrating is if you had a string of bad zombie movies, like say zombie movies went down in kind of like the 90s and then in the 2000s, they just had nothing or people are trying to make things stick like superhero movies at the time where people are just trying stuff and just whatever. I can kind of excuse that. But when you have all of a sudden it's like, boom, you have the formula, you know what works, how to make a good movie and you still don't try. It's that's like if you took Iron Man came out where John Farber was like, this is the formula for a superhero movie. And mm-hmm. then you went back and you made the Hulk with Eric Bana after that. And you're just like, uh, you, you have the roadmap. You, you, <laughs> you just you follow directions. That's all you have to do. But <laughs> oh, well. He so, said, oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> So what I would actually like to ask the audience, what do you consider the best return franchise entry? What is the best return of the living dead franchise entry? Number one. One It's the first. It's the first one. The first one was a smash. The first one was was always going to be amazing. You know, first one, first one was awesome. So I got I'm always going to go number one on that one. Yeah, same here. It's the number yeah. one all the way through. Yeah. Obviously. The first one was the best. It was the most original. And then you got to this. And everything in between honestly ramped up to it. It kind of started to go downhill. Two was all right. Three was I two and three bounced back and forth. Four was like, no. Nah. And then you're like, oh. Yeah. uh by the way a uh a uh, good to see you cindy sue thanks so much for being here tonight um and i saw skooma cat as well good to see you skooma cat thanks so much for hanging out uh appreciate you being here um yep yeah, we got a lot of love for number one Rodan ellis yeah. name numero uno case cooper number one sarcasm the original travis by brown. far uh send travis brown cops. send more cops yes send more insert public servant yeah which is uh classic yes send more <laughs> absolutely um Yep, no, Robert Biner. Yep, number one. So why try harder? Absolutely. 
So I, I only like number three because of because of Melinda Clark. That's, that's the only reason I like it because <laughs> it was like, redeeming quality. I was like, God damn it, the zombie is sexy now. Son of a bitch. <laughs> now I'm all fucking now I'm all fucking confused and shit. <laughs> I got a confused chubby. It's like, oh I gotta find oh, some and, deeper meaning to this shit movie. <laughs> and Sally Skellington, good to see you as well. Sally, thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, but definitely let us know what your favorite was or what you think the best entry in the return franchise was down in the comments below or we can horror gmail.com. All right, Alex, what do we got next? Oh shit. All right. Let's do, uh, my least favorite kind of movie. We're going to go with rest stop came out October 17th, 2006. Watch this mess. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop, but they keep stopping. You can't just walk out of a driving movie, Sandy. I've <laughs> <laughs> got a very sarcastic plot summary for y'all here. <laughs> Rest stop. The suspenseful and chilling thriller was directed by John Scheiben. <laughs> I can't even. And written by John Scheiben and Russell uh, McCauley. Uh, this one featured Jamie Alexander, Joey Mendocino, Deanna Russo, and a whole bunch of people nobody cares about. This gripping story follows a young couple on a road trip who encounter terror and unexplainable events when they stop for a break at a desolate rest stop, which you don't fucking do. If you got the gas, keep fucking moving. God. Turning their journey into a nightmarish ordeal they never expected. Although you should, because if you stop in the middle of fucking nowhere in the middle of the night, things get weird. Sorry. I hate these kinds of movies. It's like you walked into it. You kind of deserve it. Man. Oh, dude, okay. All right. So, obviously, I, I'm just going to be the first one to say it. So, definitely, Sorry. you know, the, the, the movie came out. Uh, this one came out in 06. It was, uh, came out one year. Rafi dropped this one, like, one year after Wolf Creek. This is uh, obviously, yep. first and foremost, everyone's going to say this is an absolute fucking Wolf Creek rip. It absolutely is. Um, the problem 100%. is. The problem is, mm -hmm. see, uh, Wolf Creek is excellent. Wolf Creek is fantastic. It was a great villain, you know, uh, uh, Mick Taylor. And that's because the elements were contained. They, 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 you had those, you know, a strict vision as to what you wanted to convey with Mick Taylor and the for, uh, the unforgiving, you know, hostility of the Outback. And so that was very, very simple. So it's a slasher film. Very simple. Re uh, this fucking movie. The problem with Raw Feed. Okay, now Raw Feed when it didn't release that many films. I think it was like six movies, like six or seven movies that they did. And some of them were good. Like fucking uh, Sublime was under the Raw Feed banner, and Sublime was fantastic because the Raw Feed banner explored sort of more, uh, as more kind of like abstract concepts and allowed for a bit of a tinge of the supernatural and stuff in order to play into their movies. The problem is, is that they took this idea that was established in Wolf Creek and they kind of ran in the raw feed style of that. And those two didn't blend together. So this fucking movie doesn't know what the fuck it wants to be. This movie pissed me off at nearly every stretch because it, it like the very first time bodies start vanishing, but we have no like establishing that, you know, like the supernatural is a thing in this realm. I I literally I shit you not. The first thought in my head was, is she in a video game? This is like, you know, like Resident <laughs> Evil where the bodies vanish, the bodies disappear. Mm -hmm. You know, because that was an inside joke in the Resident Evil friend. In the very first movie with Mila Jovovich, Mila, uh, Mila Jovovich, there was a running, that was, the, that was what the director was trying to do. Was like, you kill him. Oh, where'd the body go? It disappeared. Because that's what happened in the games. Mm -hmm. Is that you'd kill a zombie, then their body would vanish after a few minutes. So where'd the body mm -hmm. go? Well, they did that. That was an inside joke in the movie. Here it's fucking real. Like bodies are just vanishing. Are these ghosts or what's happening here? I don't. 
and nothing is ever fucking explained. Guess what? You never find out. <laughs> you yeah. never find nothing. out. We don't even know if she's fucking dead. Like they allude to so many things. And so it's like, oh, is it possible she's dead? Is she just reliving these events because she's a ghost? Oh, is this what's happening? But then, you know, the same thing happens. Like, you know, oh, help me, help me. I'm in the closet. And then the girl goes, I'll get help. And then runs away and then comes back and then she's not there. Oh, just like the previous girl. But no, she is there. She's hiding behind. What the fuck, man? Hey. This is an uninspired mishmash of ridiculously overwrought, uh, overdone tropes and concepts. And they stole from a bunch of other things that worked well in those movies. But this movie, what the literal shit. Not to mention, fuck that boyfriend. Was anybody else oh raise your hand if you were as like fucking annoyed by that character as I was? What a fucking from, piece of shit. From the first like 10 minutes. It was immediately yeah. like, God, I couldn't That dude was a fucking, fucking dick. I wouldn't fuck even your ask. boyfriend. If he was my Uber driver to 7-Eleven, I would get out and get a different Uber driver. <laughs> get out and fucking walk. I, I I don't like that. This is what's annoying is I don't mind a bad horror film. Okay. Even if I can't laugh, at it, even if it's just boring, I don't mind about, I hate one that is just, just fucking stupid and pointless and has no idea what it wants to be. There was no, it was almost like there was like multiple directors handling, handling different aspects of the fuck thing. I would have hated to read the fucking script on this because this shit makes no fucking sense. And you can tell because Jamie Alexander is a fantastic actress. She's a great actress. Okay, we've seen her in many, many things. She was great in Kyle XY. She was fantastic as Sif in the Mar in the Marvel Universe. She's a good actress. Not to mention uh, the one, um, the blind was it Blind Side or Blind Spot where she's the chick with the tattoos. You blind know, spot, and it's, you know, yeah. like yeah. Mm -hmm. So she she's a phenomenal actress. Very very good. The problem is you can tell that even she as an actor doesn't know what the fuck is going on in this thing because <laughs> that confusion she has is not the character being confused. That's Jamie Alexander trying to figure out. Why is this happening? Like, do what, I exist? Do I what, not exist? Is what this is another this, dimension? What does what it point, like? What, you know, at what point does it service the plot? What at what point do I have to kill the 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 cop in the bathroom? And we go through this huge protracted exposition of like, oh, I'm dying. Oh, he's gonna get in and kill me. Oh, there's gonna be gas gasoline. He's gonna just kill me. Just do it now. Go through this whole buildup. Boom. She goes to escape. And she turns around and he's fucking gone. He's not even there. It's just oh, you, then, what you, forgot the no mention, you forgot to mention the funny part where so he's like, kill me, kill me. So I don't, you know, you're going to light the building on fire. And so she like puts the gun in his mouth, shoots him. You see brains come out and he's still alive. Still. Because she's like, you only have two shots left. Shoots him. He's still alive. So it's like, oh. Well, I guess I got to use my last bullet and shoot you. Like, she had to double tap him. And it made no sense. I I figured it was like, okay, well, there's two bullets left in the gun, and she'll probably use one. And then she'll have one bullet left in the gun. And that can create a very interesting story point because it's like, when are you going to use the last bullet? That could be something. We've seen that before in, like, other right. films. When are you going to use it? Nope. Nope. Just double tapped right there. And I was like, oh, well, that's it for the gun. Ammo, are you? And the the and the kicker on it, I mean, I mean, there's there's so many bad things about it, and what and it, it, not to mention just the characterization was terrible. I I don't know who to root for because I don't know exactly what's going on because it's like they're like the the production is deliberately trying to keep the audience all like you know off balance. It's like wait a minute, is this a supernatural horror film? Wait a minute, is this like a stalker like a stalker slasher film? Is this you know is this then then you have the whole like the shit with the RV. With the, like the weird family and the are the weird fundamentalist family in the RV that goes like totally fucking red state makes no fucking sense. 
doesn't go anywhere. And then Joey Lawrence pops up and does the only thing good in his career is he gets popped in a film. And and then <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are we doing? It's like there was no sense to anything. No coherency whatsoever. There's no coherent narrative. The cinematography wasn't even fucking inspired. You have all of that open space and you don't play with shit. And the best thing you can do is at the end is literally copy one of the final sequences from Wolf Creek is what yep. you did. Essentially, oh, the girl on the road. The yeah, they, they, like, yeah. All that was. And it's just like, what the absolute shit, you know, and it's, it pissed me off because Raw Feed did movie, they did Sublime, they did Believers, they did fucking Otis. Otis was fantastic. Alien Raiders wasn't so great, but their first and last films were Rest Stop and Rest Stop Don't Look Back. This fucking movie got a sequel. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I didn't know that. A sequel. That, Somebody was like, like hey, how do you like the film? from what? The critic was like, don't, don't look back. And they're like, and, that's it. That's it. And even if you do, even if you do pick up the DVD where you can see like the additional alternate endings, you see the alternate endings, or you can see like the, the deleted scenes or whatever, they don't add anything. They just yeah. make it more confusing. Here's the thing. This this concept, though this was pretty early for it, is now being used a lot in stuff like Black Mirror and American Horror Story, where you get thrown off of your, you know, you're off your balance because there's a lot of things happening. But those at least, you know, tie it together. There's like, there's a point. I, I got to the it. feeling. I got the there's feeling there were chunks. There were chunks like cut out of this movie because they're right. like, no, it's too long. It was almost like like all the like like there were pieces missing. It's like, wait a minute, how does that connect to this? I feel like there's a section of the film missing here. Like there should have been like another scene, and they just cut that whole fucking scene out. They're just like, it's like that's gonna keep them on their toes. They're not gonna know what the fuck's going on. Mission Ever. fucking successful. <laughs> Because <laughs> I had no fucking clue. I'm annoyed at this. Like me watching this, this is fucked up. Because me watching this was like Eugene watching The Butcher. Okay, it was like watching <laughs> wait, wait, that wait. movie. Didn't this come out like the same year or maybe a year away from The Butcher? I, mean, maybe I think the it did. Was 07. I, I think I, it did. I stand by it. What year did this come out? 2006. 2006. Mid 2000s. Shitty. <laughs> Hands down. Just shitty. Butcher was argument nine, but you after know. argument, worst decade of horror. Period. Cindy Sue, Cindy Sue says, uh, so this film broke the turd polisher nine is the turd polisher nine thousand. I wouldn't, I wouldn't insult the TP nine thousand by putting this fucking movie in it. I wouldn't. This movie, this movie is fucking insulting, is what it is. Now maybe I'm a horror, like you know, I'm a horror snob. I don't think I am. And I don't think my co-host would say I'm a horror snob because I'll find good shit about even the worst fucking movies. Yeah, you know, no, even a movie that you can't see what's going on. I'll even be like, well, maybe it was an artistic thing in order to kind of convey how humanity doesn't really see it. No, I will fucking do that shit. There is nothing that can be done on this fucking movie. This fucking movie was goddamn atrocious. I would not insult the TP-9000 by sticking this fucking movie in it because it would jam it the fuck up. It would literally quit. We'd have to buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to I'd have to remove the TP nine thousand mm -hmm. T shirt from the Teespring and put in a TP ten thousand because we had to upgrade because fucking rest stop killed it. <laughs> Even it's, worse than Joyride. I've seen asylum films that made more sense than this goddamn movie. Yes, yes. This is goddamn. This, this film has nothing. 
nothing going I'd for it. Why, it's I'd not rather, even weird for the sake of being weird. Like there are some weird abstract stuff. I was like, okay, I can kind of get behind that. That's some good imagery, something like this. No, and so, I know someone put in the comments. It was like a uh, high tension, like the American version, but. Like it's so watered down, and all the parts <laughs> of high tension that make high tension what it is all like the bleak look and the brutal kills of the entire family and everything like this just doesn't have it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have the body count, so you don't even get cool, like a bunch of cool kills, and all or like, oh man, there's like a bunch of torture scenes for like, yeah, the, but they just they just took for fucking House of Wax. That's all yeah. they did. But like other things, other misogynistic slasher films, they just took elements from all of those films. It's kind of like, I ugh, I would rather watch, I would rather watch actors, I'd rather watch like D-list actors in in like Army Navy store like fatigues running around in the woods yelling at a 50-foot crocodile that's not there. I'd rather watch that shit because at <laughs> least there's something coherent about that fucking movie. And like, like Sir Chasm brings up. What pissed me off the most was the gun. She was outside with the cop with the gun, and it never crossed her mind to grab the gun and shoot the dude in the fucking truck. Infuriating. There were several moments, and here's what here's what's really here's what's really fucking killer. And I and I say and I and I don't say this lightly. I like Jamie Alexander. I think I I, I think she's very attractive. This movie couldn't even be salvaged by the fact that we, that we actually saw some Jamie Alexander movies. No, couldn't even be salvaged by it. I forgot that we that we saw that. At one point in the movie, I'm like, it's like, oh wow, we get this, you know, this like nice little like intimate love scene, you know, in the car. Oh, Jamie Alexander, you know, she she actually went, she actually went the distance. This is not a movie you go the distance in. No, this is not. No, no, this this was the movie of rent was due next week, and you're a, like a couple hundred dollars short. That's what this movie <laughs> yeah. is. And Tang Whistle says, "JL found a movie that is irredeemable. This is not the only. I found a few films that are irredeemable. They're they're just very short list." One of them is like Silent Hill Revelation. Movie is fucking irredeemable. Like, irre-fucking-deemable. When I fall asleep in the theater because of your movie, that's bad. That's really fucking bad. If I doze off, your movie is so boring, and it's a Silent Hill film, and I'm like... And then I wake up probably 20 minutes later, and I haven't missed anything because nothing has happened and it's kind of like oh okay so yeah so it's no okay i didn't, I didn't need any exposition because it does not that's a bad movie there are a couple there are a handful that are fucking terrible that are just irre-fucking-deemable I, I, I think it was a couple i'm trying to think of the other ones that you said were irredeemable i think one of them was alucard alucard uh, was irre alucard is irredeemable because that movie is just fucking boring it's just it's just like uh and it was so fucking pretentious fuck so, it was so cheap. It was so bad. It was made on a. It was shot like on a handy cam or something like that. It was so yeah, bad. just just terrible. And but that was that was the. I I know I ranted and I've been looking forward to you. You tell I've been thinking about this shit for a minute. Maybe that was the success of Rest Up. Well, it actually wasn't successful at all. Be successful because well, no, it was a relative success. It actually was. It was a relative success on video. Because it went direct to video, did five million in domestic video sales, likely because people were picking up on that kind of misogynistic slasher idea. People kind of like you know the you know fucking Hills Have Eyes, fucking um, Wolf Creek, you know House of Wax and shit, where you know it's got a great captivity shit like that. And so we bring it in, and but this thing, what? Oh fuck! I've never wanted to I punch people, but just like driven to near violence because I'm sitting there going like, why didn't you do this? 
I should not be sitting there watching. So why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you cut it? You know, like, like get, get it from that angle. Why, what, what is this narrative bullshit? And this movie just fucking aggravated the living piss out of me. I was annoyed, but maybe that's a success. I'm so pissed. I'm still fucking talking about it. I, yeah, I guess it's one of those that you're gonna remember because even I could look and she's like, oh, well, maybe she can walk to the next stop, and it was like sixty, uh, like sixty miles or something like to the next stop. Uh, if you're in shape at a pretty good pace, I'll take you a couple of days to get there, but you can walk sixty miles, like you really can. I was like, I could just kind of like it would, it would have been more interesting if she's like, okay, it's sixty miles to the next town or whatever and then she's like having the trudge through the woods while like he's like tormenting her but she has like a clear goal of to keep going and you can kind of build towards that um but this i mean she's like she keeps coming every time she like got in the rv and the rv's like driving and like every time she was in something and then she got out and she was back at the rest stop and i'm like i'm tired of looking at this place I'm tired yeah. of it. You know, I I don't know. I yeah, this is there's a reason it's directed video. Didn't see a theatrical release. You know, I'd be likely the actors picked up as a paycheck, but nothing redeemable about this one. Not the not the characters, not the setting, not the cinematography. Director direction was fucking lazy as shit. If your movie's got three alternate endings and you have to market it as each one scarier than the last, then why didn't you fucking go with the last one? That was like like literally telling on yourself right there absolutely terrible and not to mention cheap cheap and fucking shoddy like i said they will be gritty grainy for no fucking reason bad goddamn lighting nonsensical shit that characters are doing like and then of course you got all this bad stuff then you make it like weirdly supernatural and strange it's kind of like bodies are vanishing out of nowhere the truck literally smashes her car into smithereens and then it shows up again and there's no damage on it but the car is still damaged yeah, oh, well, you have like, her, like, the, the picture on the board. It's like, oh, now she's missing, or she sees the other girl from, like, 1975. Right. And, but no, she's there. She's hiding in the very uh, – it's whatever. It, it Like, and and no no explanation whatsoever. It's like, it, it's 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 not – it's not even ambiguous to the it's 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 ambiguous, but it's so ambiguous it's to the point that we don't even have enough information to try and formulate what might have happened because so much is left out. And good evening, Cindy Johnson. Good to see you. It says good evening. Thank you so much for being here tonight. You just missed my epic fucking rant because uh this movie I, I, it's not that I just hate not that I hated this movie. It's this movie fucking pissed me off. You can say you, you know, hate it. That's okay. I fucking hate it. It, it like it goes beyond that because there's movies movies I hated but you haven't pissed me off. This movie fucking pissed me off. It like pissed me off to no end, you know? It's just fucking obnoxious. It's but this is kind of what happened in the post Wolf Creek landscape. Wolf Creek was with you know what McLean brought to uh to this to like you know the horror genre with Wolf Creek was a very very human a very very human monster. Nothing supernatural, no gimmicks. A fucking nasty guy who's like, you know, one of those survivalists who like who's out there in the middle of the fucking the middle of fucking nowhere Australia. <clears throat> That's terrifying enough as it is being out there in that landscape. Then you have a dude who's completely self-sufficient and can vanish into that into that wasteland out there, no problem, preying on <clears throat> tourists and backpackers, whatever he gets his hands on, just you know, like with impunity, because that's that's it's realistic, it's grounded, it's terrifying. You know, the the fact that it's not beyond the realm of plausibility that a person could be doing this. You know, and so 
That's what made that scary. But it didn't go beyond that. It didn't try to overcomplicate matters. So he said, this is the situation. And in that, it, it, it's so simplistic, yet so beautifully deep. The problem is that trying to add shit to that, to try and like one-up Wolf Creek, was it was a terrible fucking mistake. Well, the thing about Wolf Creek is Wolf Creek had good characters. Mick is uh, a yeah, fantastic... Yeah, characters that we attached to, yes. You care. You've, you have the three characters as they're on their journey. Why am I rooting for Mick? This is so wrong. I'm so confused again. You have you have the three characters that you care about. So you care about what happened. And not to mention in Wolf Creek, they make the Australian Outback its own character. Right. They didn't do this. This rest stop is not its own character. It's just this this like set that is just here and we're just stuck here repeatedly. Andrew Rivera says, you know when a movie is crap when the topic is about other movies and not the one they're supposed to be talking about. Because there's I mean, we can we can talk about all the movies they stole shit from. We can talk about all the all the concepts that are just, you know, reused and overdone. But none nonetheless, it boils down to a rest stop is fucking nonsensical. You know, it's a victim. It, I wouldn't even say it's a victim because there was no effort put into it whatsoever. There are movies that were victims of the post-Wolf Creek landscape because Wolf Creek did ostensibly change. It all it it altered the 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 landscape of the slasher subgenre. Wolf Creek added something new and brought something really intriguing into it. Was that a a a not this supernatural entity, not the masked slasher like Scream, not the supernatural entity like Freddy or Jason or the the quasi supernatural like Michael Myers, but literally a grounded, very human monster. Like, you know, and it's not like he's like, you're like jacked with muscles and shit. Oh, I'm the, I'm the incomparable destroyer. No, just a fucking survivalist dude out there in the middle of goddamn nowhere. That's fucking scary. You know, who's charming one second and then like, you know, you know cutting your head off the next. That's fucking scary. That's what made that. So Wolf Creek had a, had a major impact on it. And there were films that were victims to that, trying to recapture that. But then there were films that just ripped it off. And just try well, to do also, something like on, weird. So on top of that, like if you look at the time period, this is the time period where you have digital cameras, so it's cheaper to make movies, and this is the height of the DVD straight to DVD Walmart bit. That's yeah. exactly where a lot of this stuff comes from. These straight to DVDs, where if people will walk in and they'll pick up a DVD randomly for two ninety nine. You people dig through the bin, hope, oh, that, that could be kind of interesting. It's two to three bucks, whatever. So you even, look, you even look at the cover of the fucking DVD. It's a, it, you could tell it's like, you know, like the, the bloody girl, like walking down this, walking down the highway in the truck. It's a straight, it, it's, it evokes Wolf Creek. It is. It is hands down. That's why you have this, such this bad era hmm. of movies because the price tag dropped and then you had an outlet that you can, that you can push it out because. Yeah. You can make a movie. It's like now you can make a movie for a million dollars, put it on straight to DVD at this time period. And the fact the film exists, you would at least make your money back because enough curious horror fanatics will pick it up and go, I'll take it. I'll I'll take a gander at it. And because you made more per sale than say you do today on streaming services, you're not making five or ten bucks per stream if you put something on Netflix or whatever. So you, this it's not like that landscape anymore. But at that time, you chap, you slap a cheap cover on it, you burn a DVD on a couple computers or whatever, and you just drop it in a bin. And they knew they're gonna make their money back, regardless of how good the film is. Yeah. 
And uh, good to see you, Jeremy Duncan. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And Tony Regime as well. Thank you so much for the obligatory ghost. We do appreciate that. And Jeremy mm -hmm. Duncan says, rest stop is as bad as Glorious. Uh, actually, we'll talk about that at a later time. I thought Glorious was Ryan Quanton. You know, Ryan, Ryan Quanton talking to the, like, the cosmic Lovecrafting entity in the bathroom stall through the glory hole. <laughs> that movie was actually really, was actually pretty fucking good. I gotta say. That's just me. Like, I thought that movie was great because I love Ryan Kwan. I loved him since True Blood. Loved him in fucking Nights of Bad Astem. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought, like, the, the Glorious was good. But this movie, no. Yeah, let's, you know, no, we've given this movie way, way more yeah. attention than we should. Yeah, I'm, let's, let's go. Hey, what do you say we put this movie to rest? See myself. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm so focused that it was like, oh, huh. Rest, yeah, Are you kidding yeah, me? I just sat here and listened to your rant. This was the greatest fucking... I've never seen you tear a movie apart like this before. We've been doing this for four <laughs> fucking years. Fucking hell, oh, man. It was, it was bound to happen eventually. J Johnny uh -oh. doesn't get all the fucking hate. He no, doesn't. This one, yeah, it, I, mean, I know it's few. It sounds. I know it's few and far, but <laughs> Robert Biter said, boo, <laughs> to your mind. <laughs> let's stop resting on this movie. Oh, uh, let's, 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 let's definitely let's definitely bury this motherfucker. Uh, uh, you know what? And you even came in here, ripped it apart, and I'm very surprised that you put on on our script here the CTA here. So the CTA we've got here is: should they do a remake? Yes or no? Reboot remake of this movie? I don't think so. Leave it the fuck alone. They've done this this trope the uh, on the road in the middle of the night way too many fucking times. It's not. Well, it's coming Unless up on twenty. It's coming up on twenty years later. So, I right. I mean, no. Come up. I don't know. <laughs> it could be fifty years. No, do not touch this shit. No, no you said there's wrong. a sequel, and I vomited a little in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Rest stop. Don't look back. And it is. It is as fucking nonsensical as the first one. You fact, watched I, it. It's. You know yeah, me, dude. dude. I got yeah. fucking just oh masochist. I gotta just feel the pain. I gotta, earn, I gotta earn. I gotta earn it. Movie twice. I gotta earn it. And obviously, there's uh, a lot of no's in the live chat. So yeah, no. Casey Group was like, no, 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 no. Tesla Radio said the second one was worse. You're right. Yes, Tesla Radio. The second one was worse. It's even but worse. You knew what you're getting into. You knew what you're getting into because the first one was so fucking bad. You yeah. couldn't redeem it. It's it's yeah. not even worth it. Reboot, there's a reason remake, the sequel doesn't pop so. up in season. There's a reason that the sequel is not in season five because we're not gonna talk about it. <laughs> This is enough, man. This was this was an emotional ride. This tore me down. Um, yeah, so you know, let us know in the comments. Obviously, we've gotten some hate already, but uh, or send us an email at weekendhorrormitchino.com. Jail, let's talk about something. Oh, I was gonna tell you, I was before we deeper. dive into the next one, I was gonna point out so Jeremy Duncan, uh, Raven Dark was like, Oh, a glory uh, Raven Dark said through a glory hole. I so don't want to know JL. Jeremy Duncan said, no, you don't want to know, Raven. Glorious is about a demon from Cthulhu. It's a very Lovecraftian cosmic entity talking to Ryan Quantum's character through a glory hole in a bathroom stall. And he can't open the stall because if he does, like, you know, the 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 entity's like, you know, gloriousness or it's like his power will like, like kill him. So they're just chatting. They're chatting through this glory hole. Is That's why the film's called Glorious. Um, but yeah, ostensibly, uh, what, what was I? Uh, fucking hell. Uh, yes, and the demon is voiced by J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Huh. Which see okay that works. He's like oh okay neat. neat. Yeah. JK said yeah that's cool. I, I, I gotta dig that. <laughs> I was like it's okay. I give you that premise and I'm kind of like oh interesting. Oh yeah. I was like, was like okay guy in a in a bathroom talking to a cosmic entity you know through a glory hole. As Fascinating. One does. And it's voiced by J.K. Simmons. Oh. oh now you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, weird fucking movie. That was good. Tony Regime says, "If you can't do it better than the OG, if you can't do it better than the OG Hitcher or Wolf Creek, don't even think about it." Agreed. I would agree with that. Yes. Tang Whistle says, "Blah, I have to go to work. I will finish this video later. Have fun. I have a good night, Tang Whistle. I uh, hope you. I hope work goes well. Thanks so much." Raven Doctor says, "Simmons, no, no, just no. Yes, yes, just yes, because <laughs> it's actually really good. I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed like yeah, like how the how it ended. I don't want to spoil it." Go see it. No, it's a brand new movie. Yeah, it's brand. It's literally yeah. brand new. And Ryan Quanton is awesome. He's really good. Plays against type. I'll give you that. He plays against type in it. So definitely. But let's jump on to our next one, which at least has some solid redeeming value. Not much, but some. Yeah. But we will get there. So yeah. Does so it, does it I, from rest stop? Come on. I mean, you can only go up from there. It literally. I know we kind of just stayed on the same plane. <laughs> I don't think no no rest stop in space no absolutely fucking not uh but yeah coming this one this next film uh released October 20th 2005 we have the movie severed also known as severed forest of the dead which I'm just glad we just called it severed uh, but uh, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, uh. let's check out this trailer cue up the terror tube because the movie had because the movie had to be made. That's why it's happening. Fuck so you, that's why. Yeah. So uh, and yes, Jeremy Douglas says this is redeemable. Jeremy Douglas said, "Is the, this is redeemable to you?" Yes, it is. One chainsaws. Two eco eco tree, you know, eco tree loving hippies chained to a tree getting eaten by zombies because they chain themselves to a tree. That makes it redeemable. So just straight up. Um, it's a really yes, low bar. Very low bar, but at least it has that chainsaws. And hippies chaining themselves to trees, and then they can't escape when the zombies come, so the zombies eat them. <laughs> it just made just, you know, that's at least worth it. So we have the movie Severed, aka Severed Forest of the Dead, which was a Canadian zombie film, and it was directed by Carl Basai, written by Carl Basai, Travis McDonald, and Julian Clark, starring Paul Campbell, Sarah Lind, J.R. Bourne, and Patrick Gallagher, Sage uh, Brocklebank, uh, Brad Siobhan, Zach Santiago, and Alex Zahara. So the film follows a logging, uh, basically a remote logging community where um cutting into a tree one day uh, releases this you know releases this kind of like fluid shit that essentially acts like the rage rage virus the rage virus and starts turning people into zombies we're talking like in seconds so it's very much like 28 days later instead of monkeys you have trees and the uh the zombie infection spreads and the little remote logging community gets kind of like walled off they kind of wall themselves off society degrades shit hits the fucking fan and then it's just fucking chaos and you know zombies and shit so, and the whole thing is like, it was a, it was like, of course it was like a, an experiment gone wrong. And then that'll either way, the, as far as the film goes, not much is added to it. It's like adds to it. It just kind of like, like I said, it's 28 days later, but instead of monkeys, it's trees. So I don't know if that is compelling at all, but I will say the redeeming thing is that at least there was some entertaining stuff in it. There were some decent moments. The zombie effects were all right. I've seen worse. I've seen far, far better. I've seen much better, but there's maybe it's just me but uh it was they shot up in location they shot on location up there like in the woods in the canadian wilderness already a very very difficult shoot they're shooting in an active logging area so basically they were allowed to come in during the during the uh when the camp was not working they were able to set the whole thing up and shoot out there shooting on location out there in the middle of the woods is always challenging and difficult and can sometimes derail an entire production they managed to pull this off with effects and deliver a coherent film and get it in the can I got to give him credit for that. Plus, it's a zombie flick, and I enjoy zombie flicks, and it doesn't go too far, and it explores the human element, the degradation of, like, society, 
as, you know, things become unstable and they get cut off from the outside world, then shit goes totally Lord of the fucking flies. I like that element. The only, you know, damning thing was really just the, the sub, you know, like, like the, the side story with the dad and he sends his son out there and then he's just like, oh, you know, and then nothing happens to the evil CEO that did this shit. Like, you know, like, you know, tried to, I'm going to make the trees grow faster by injecting them with shit. Oh, fuck, zombies. Makes no fucking sense. But we don't need it to because it's a zombie film. So, so counterpoint on that. <laughs> <laughs> Point, counterpoint. Yeah, yeah, counter, counterpoint on that. So Not have, terribly terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible. So you have those, so you have these zom- those zombie effects that were there. The only thing I wish is that the camera would actually show the zombie effects to do this. It was very jumpy. It felt it felt very it felt very found footage almost like it, it, holy shit like, man we're following it we don't have a fucking steady cam so we got to do this by hand. <laughs> <laughs> it was as much it's basically as much found footage style as you can have without legitimately being found footage and I just it took me out of every action scene because it's like oh man all oh, the girls getting eaten they're tearing like her chest apart and it's and all you see is you see blood here and you're just doing this. And it's like, I can't see anything. Right. I'm like, how pissed is the makeup artist who spent like a month or two prepping all these effects and all these blood packs and all this gore and all this other kind of stuff so that their work can be appreciated on the big screen and then you can't even fucking see it. Yeah, and, and the and the color correction, I mean, the, the the lack of color correction did not do them any favors oh, because, it was... because everything, because it's so dark, because the blood is so dark and the effects are so dark that already you're working in a kind of overcast environment so your ambient light is already low and if you try to blow that up like with, with, with artificial light, you're, you may have some problems, especially with everything, because everything was wet. So when everything is wet like that, everything is just damp. So maybe it was a choice. It was a bad choice as to like when they could shoot, but maybe they that was the only time they had because everything looks damp. Everything is wet. Not to mention they shoot a scene in the rain. When you've got artificial lights like that, especially during the day and an overcast day, when it's overcast and your ambient light is kind of like kind of like dim, when you try to blow that up, you're gonna get weird light ref, uh, light effects off of all the trees. Because all of that standing water that's all over everything is going to reflect shit back at you. So you, if you, you got to angle it just right. But they're in the forest. It's not like the trees are one side. You know, it's not like there. And then we can like, you know, we can angle it because the trees are in one place. There's fucking trees everywhere, and your camera's doing this. So well, you got to work with what you got. And well, honestly, a good colorist can fix that. True. I, true. I, yeah. I hate the coloring choice that, that they used in it because it was just. It was it was, muted? Very muted. It was very muted and kind of like a like a monochrome, like a right, monochrome yeah, yeah. kind of feel to it. But the thing is, like, it wasn't well done. Where you had a lot of kind of a lot of textures, you still had a, kind of a lot of hues, despite kind of being a little bit more muted. Uh, basically, you had a lot of, like a lot of dynamic range with it. This just it felt cheap because of the color correction and because of the style. Like, if you had right. some nice, really smooth consistent camera movement then i can bypass like some off-putting color correction or something i can overlook that because it's more of a creative choice instead of with this what looks like is they shoulder mounted or handheld the entire thing and then they just slapped a generic color on top of it and they were like done that's it 
Right. I'm, I'm good. I washed my hands up. I got the feeling that they were really trying to emulate uh, uh, Danny Boyle style. They were trying to emulate Dan- the Danny Boyle, Alex Garland style for 28 Days Later. And they were trying to go with that same kind of feel. But obviously, Boyle and Garland were, work- were, were working with a much higher budget. And so we're able to afford the technology to stabilize their image and get that get that nice sweeping aesthetic where you get the movement that moves into your stable shot. So it's like chaos and then you focus. So it, it kind of like, you know, when you when you're refocus like like for in a, in a situation, the reason that like people, you know, I get, can get into a movie like 20 Days Later is because it's very much like a survival moment. Like you're like all of a sudden it's chaos, but then you can focus on what's going on. So the camera simulated that. So it'd be like, ah, chaos. And then you focus on what you need to do and what you need to do is what's important for the plot and you drive that. So it emulates that. So the audience can attach to it in a kind of like almost survivalistic primal sense, which works, but you got to have the tech to do it, to be able to stabilize your shot like that. And you plan, you can't just go out there with a handheld or go out there with like your camera and no like solid stabilization, like a steady cam, and just go like, we're going to capture everything. It's fucking well, chaos. Also, on top of that, like you can have a shaky camera movement to show like chaos. Like that's, that's totally okay. But the people who do it right, you always know what's going on. So even yeah. you can show probably one of the best examples is like the opening beach scene on Saving Private Ryan. There's a lot of shaky, a lot of handheld camera work on it but you always knew where tom hanks was you always knew what was going on you always you could follow the action and still get that chaotic feel and usually it happens you will have maybe two or three like shaky shots and then you'll have like a static shot or something that's real stable or maybe you cut to a y and they can go back to shaky so the audience can still know what's going on instead of if you're doing shaky 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 it doesn't work. And even when you look at, say, the better found footage films like Blair Witch Project, even Blair Witch Project has its stable moments. And I'm not, I'm, it's Blair Witch oh, Project Jesus. has its. Oh, God. <laughs> you killed Eugene. You killed Eugene. You killed Eugene, Rodent. You killed Eugene. I'm not even gonna read that out. That's just that's just fucking that, that's fucking that's uh, yeah. that that comment was too just too dark for that comment's too dark for me. Uh, but for real quick, uh, uh, hello to us. Uh, I want to say hi to Fangirl98 who popped in. Good to see you, Fangirl. Thanks so much for being here tonight. As well as I thought I saw somebody else. Wrote an OS name, Gabba Gabba to you. Extra J, good to see you. Says hi all. Thanks for being here, Extra J. And it looks like a new person in the chat I've never seen before, but welcome, welcome. Mandela Midzi, good to see you. Uh, thanks so much for being here. So yeah, that was a that was a rough that rodent funny, but yeah, that's too dark, too dark. <laughs> yeah. That'll get that'll get us in trouble. Too fun, um, the the no, kicker no, no. on the, the yeah the kicker on this one, and I think you have a, you have a take on this, Alex. Was like the one thing that makes that makes zombie films, especially undead films, interesting is often the the philosophical concepts that are that are a, a, I would say the philosophical concepts that are approached by using zombies as kind of like the external driving force behind me, like the extreme nature of these things, like how it drives us to answer these big, deeper philosophical questions. And they touch on it very slightly in this film. Whereas in 28 Days Later, that's always at the forefront of the mind. Yes, there are rage zombies all over the place, but there's always some sort of like like ideological conflict between the characters going on. It's like, what direction we move in? How do we focus this? How do we approach this problem? You have the optimistic side. You have the you have the optimism of the hero of the protagonist. You've got the cynicism and the almost nihilistic outtake, uh, you know, take of the of the of another character. And there, that creates fantastic like interpersonal drama. 
in this one, in Severed, they actually had the stones to try that with the examination of the degradation of society when the little kind of like Lord of the Flies encampment takes place. And they're going out there like, you know, like doing like, you know, playing games, like how many zombies can you kill in a number of, in number of like, in a, in like so long? Like, how, how long will it take you to kill five? Ha ha. And then putting people out there who are weak in order to kind of like entertain themselves. And then they allude to the possibility of like sexual assaults going on and all kinds of chaos, how the shit falls apart. But for some reason, which that would have been a great like place to go, they didn't go there. And so we only get the brushing of it, which is if you're not willing to deep dive, that's when you know trying to touch on these philosophical concepts fails, which is why Return didn't do Return of the Living Dead doesn't do that. They focus on the zombies and the comedy. Whereas Romero is always about that, the people and the ideologies behind them and stuff like that. Racism, consumerism, capitalism, you know, military industrial complex, shit like that. This one tried to be one, but then nah, didn't go there. <laughs> and if like I said, you know, if you know philosophy works if you're willing to go, if you're willing to do it and tackle it. Yeah, but you really gotta lean into it. And that's like, I mean, because you're talking this one was what, 2005? Five years later, The Walking <laughs> Dead come up. It's I know that's I was looking at that. I was like, hold on, this is why it's terrible. Two thousand five was not a good movie, or not a good year for movies. You're very right. You know, the the mid two thousands, great for music, terrible for movies. Oh, uh, real quick, sorry to interrupt. Thank you very very much, Fangirl uh, ninety eight for two ninety nine pounds super sticker. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, yeah, Fangirl, the, the little pear looking guy. Thank you very much for the super sticker, Fangirl. We appreciate that. Thank you so much for that support. Thank you. You rock. It's uh, okay. Sorry about that. Go ahead. You look at stuff like like The Walking Dead, uh, just as like a you know kind of a recent deal. They that's all they do. They deep dive into those you know the morality of the survivors and you know how far are you willing to go to survive and at what point does the at what point do you become inhuman or just like the monster in the movie? And you start throwing those philosophical things around, like you were talking about. They tried to brush it in this movie, and they could have. They could have dove deep into a lot of those aspects of the human mind and what it does under these kinds of situations, life or death, survival situations. But they never really, like you said, dive deep into it. And that's it's it's just you keep getting edged on, like, okay, this is about nope, nope, it's something else. And then you know, like, let's be real, the whole sending the kid in. What the fuck was wrong with that dad? Like, yeah, that was, and then, and then the whole like, the that's whole like, whole story in its own. How that the whole like, yeah, the then, 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 then you cap off the movie the lamentation. Oh, my son is dead. Oh, Sets the dead. picture down and then walks off, still fucking rich. No justice <laughs> no, is done. No, justice, no, it's like, no ju goodness, yeah. my son is but gone. It does. You've got the, the epidemic. CEO. It's, it, you know, it's like what the, the whole thing's still on. happening. It's all right there. Everybody's dead. There's no repercussions, and that really sucks because you could have really dove into it. You got this encampment, like you said, it, you covered it great. This Lord of the Flies kind of encampment situation, where it's like, okay, let's let's see how far we can push the morality of these people. But they never go over the edge. They never cross the line, and there's never really anything there to like kind of deep thought, you know, deep think into. There's nothing that you can really lean into to make it an interesting film and then mixed with the fucking tripping over every stick that you see while you're trying to fucking shoot this thing is like there <laughs> had moments where it could have been a redeeming they could have used philosophy in this like they do 28 days later the whole time you're thinking like holy shit what does it really mean how can i apply that into my life what happens if i'm in that situation what would i do but it, it just doesn't it never really crosses that line and that's disappointing because they could have and while you know the the production quality wasn't fantastic on this 
it touched on real world situations in in this time period mid 2000s shit we're really churning over like okay how can we be better in in this world how can we leave this world a better place and they didn't you had the protesters you had the loggers they're just out there doing their jobs the protesters are like it's bad and you know what maybe the loggers think it is too but it's a fucking it's a paycheck it's a paycheck yeah they really could have dove into that separation but it was just separate the whole time and it, there was yeah, no it's all, crossing of any line there it's all surface level just like uh sir chasm brought up this is an excellent uh example of the idea of the vegan hipster chick making romantic overtures to the capitalist pig's son who she the, the insults you know it's like they they establish who they are at the you know towards the beginning less than 24 hours after her boyfriend has died in a zombie attack that essentially was caused by the guy's dad and they you know it's just like and I get that. I get the idea that, like, you know, situations like this can change a character and we can have those reactions to it. We do, like, ir- like, like irrational shit, but that's not conveyed in the characterization. She just makes that character change completely unprompted. It's like, Jeez. oh, yeah, you're you're the son of the capitalist pig that's doing this whole thing and, like, he's, like, destroying the environment. And now your fucking experimentation is now – your illegal experimentation is now turning people into the fucking undead, but you're kind of hot, so I'll fuck you. Right. It's It's it- – she's the extremist she's supposed to be the one that that right. holds her ground no matter what and they just shoot straight for the top and there's no it's and it's quick it's there's no like in between it's 24 hours in the movie it, it's even quicker when you're watching it in the movie it happens so fast that it's like what the fuck but yeah plot hole and, for and sure then, yeah you know and then the idea that you know then the hero's gonna go back and save carter carter set up as like the coward of the whole fuck because every one of these things has a cowardly character who's always <laughs> gonna run and then carter's like the the dipshit who like ditches everybody and you know it's like it's always a fucking like you know snake and yet oh i gotta go i gotta go save him otherwise i'm just like my father and he goes and he goes and tries to and he fucking dies and that's what's fucked up is because even in the end the only survivor is the vegan hippie chick she survives like everyone dies and in the process of everyone dying she gets na- like naturally selected to get out i don't fucking know but she, she survives goes, i told you so she right. survives but then the, there's no justice for the dude who caused all of the events so like what are you trying to say here because are you are you leaving up to the audience that it's okay to do horrible shit because you've got the money to get away with it you may lose some stuff but you still stay rich and powerful or is it because ultimately it'll destroy everything and only the hippie vegan chick, she was the one who made it through because she's not, she was, you know, because her, her ideology is positive towards the earth. It was really, really confusing. And so because they didn't, like you said, they didn't dive deep like they should have. Like they, like they, that's where they should have gone. And, and, see, and yeah. that's, that's like a failure on their part because yeah. they could have gone to so many, they could have gone to so many different routes. If they wanted to do the social economic class level, they could have done something similar to uh, the latest remake of all quiet on the Western front, where you see the troops that are basically going through hell. And then it just opposed with the generals and the wealthy people who are lavish in lifestyle. Yeah. And at the end of the movie where they send them on a doomed charge, I'm not going to fully give, but they send them basically on a doomed pointless charge. And then you have all the people die unnecessarily. And then 11 o'clock hits and the general's like, oh, that's it. War is over. I'm going to go home. And that says something. Cause it's like a, the war is not the same for everybody. And they could have done something similar here. It was like, well, the rich can continue to get away with it, but they don't lean on it that much. Or is it an environmental film like Birdemic is, where everything, unless you're environmental, the birds will try to kill you. 
but no, they don't lean, they don't stick to that. And what's even fascinating is when you look at <laughs> yeah, they don't they the zombies don't eat the vegans. Yeah, oh, it tastes bad. It's like <laughs> that's the key. <laughs> that's it. That's the answer all along. And and even the fascinating part of what we're talking about with the Lord of the Flies, that's something that's always been fascinating because out of all of human history, all the couple hundred thousand years we've been here, we've only had government and government and civilization for a little part of it. So it's fascinating when you strip all that away and you go back to the hunter-gatherer state, how how is that going? How's it going to be governed? Because there's always somebody strong. There's always going to be somebody weaker. And how does that, how does society transition back to that? That's something that's fascinating. But no, we get this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just camera all over the fucking place. The end. So, so I'll give oh, it. So I want to like maple, another maple root, eh? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and someone said, you know, it wasn't a Canadian zombie film because the zombies didn't say sorry, eh? After they bit you in or like while they were eating you. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, one thing I will say, one thing I, I I do enjoy a zombie film that at least attempts to like you know like dive into deeper concepts and utilize the zombies as uh, as a backdrop for what they're trying to say. And ideological conflicts are fantastic in horror films because they always make for an excellent interpersonal ideas. The axioms that we hold make for fantastic starting points as to why we have inevitable conflict and why we can see how two people are going to cut, like, are literally going to be uh, butting heads in the future. One of the best examples of this is in the movie Alien between Ripley and the fucking captain. When it comes down to it, there is two fundamental different ideologies where Ripley is about the rules first. Because the rules keep us safe and keep us alive, whereas the captain's about my crew first. I can, you know, like the decision I make to keep my crew. They both want the same goal. They both go about it differently. Fundamental, di- and th- those ideologies put them into conflict. And then they put them into conflict with Ash as well. So that's why these things work. So that's my question that I want to ask the audience. When it, not about this film, but when it comes to ideological conflicts in horror films, what do you find is the best? Like the best conflicting ideology that leads to the best interpersonal action, the best opportunity for the actors to tell the story, or that creates the generates the most legitimate conflict in these things. You could have something like like Day of the Dead, which is the difference between like human survival survivalism at all costs, or the you know keeping the system that that keeps our society in check, keeping that afloat at the cost of human lives. So like, what's more important, the system that we rely on, or us ourselves, where it puts that into like you know puts that you know into a, to the test? What's your favorite? The best ideological conflict that you that is useful for horror. I, I know it's kind of complex, but I want people to think about that and maybe give some examples as well. So definitely put it down in the comments below or weekendhorrorgmail.com. Love to hear your thoughts on this. When you see two characters butt heads like that, what do you find is the best, the best, most fertile ground, most fertile ideological conflicts you can think of in horror films? Very curious what people think about that. I'd All see, right. You got to go, go with the cop out. You got to go with the cop out like religion. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Religious, uh, religious ideological conflicts are fantastic. You know, when the, when those, because uh, fundamentally it's all like, why are we surviving? And ultimately if I try to drive someone to survive for the wrong reason. Okay. Sarcastic brought up the, the, the mist, the human monsters in the mist. Absolutely. But then there's the idea of like control, like how much control over my life, how much control over other people's lives. What dictates like what life is in the sense that 
you could run into that conflict of yourself. Like you want to survive, you want your family to survive, but you don't want them to have a horrible death. So you actually violate your own ideology in order to keep them safe from something even worse. So it's shit like that. That's amazing. You know, and it makes me want to punch Aaron Eckhart in the face because, or, you know, Thomas Jane in the face or whoever that was Thomas Jane. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas Jane. Jane. I want to punch Thomas Jane in the face because I understand why he did it. I do. But fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at the movie, you look at a movie like The Witch, where yeah. they're ostracized yes. from the community. And in 1600s America, when you're exiled, that's might as well just be a death sentence. Right. And, oh, in the and, middle of fucking 1600s America? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah it was just you, you, you and your family by themselves. And how the religion was so prominent and so the strong conviction that to the point where people would be exiled and be like, I do deserve this. I deserve the mm -hmm. slow death to die alone out in the woods and accept it. And it's kind of like a, mm, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, different time period. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting, um, definitely some interesting ideologies there. Right. And I see we got Roden Ellison brings out the downtrodden versus the elite. Absolutely. Travis Brown brings up believers versus non-believers. Absolutely. There's some good stuff in there. Really, really good stuff. Uh, Robert Biter, spaceship captain going insane versus uh, versus the crew. Absolutely. Because you have the you have the the uh, the demand of the hierarchy, the trained like you respect the chain of command. At what point? Do you sacrifice your respect for the chain of the command and the and the honor that you have that's instilled in you as a part of that crew against a leader that is obviously going off the fucking rails? At what point does it cease to be mutiny in that respect? So that's yeah, when you when you look yeah, at the uh, I know it's not a horror movie, but you look at the movie Crimson Tide, right. where Gene yeah. Hackman is like, No, we got ordered to launch nukes, so I'm gonna do my job and launch nukes. And Denzel Washington is like uh maybe we need to get some kind of verification on or something because if once we launch them that we can't take them back then so, was one guy who's like okay we're gonna we're going to war launching it Denzel's like um excuse me um uh, <laughs> one moment let's just just let, let, let's just think just about take, this take, take a, a breath yeah. let's just, just think before you know we start evaporating you know large swaths of the population Let's just, you know, like you consider things for a moment. <laughs> like, fuck you, no, mutiny. It's like, ah, is it really? Uh, I'll is tell you, so though, much? it would have been really interesting because obviously Denzel Washington's right and uh, whatever. It would have been really interesting if Denzel Washington wins like the chain of command battle and then they surface and they realize they should have launched at the end. It's fucking <laughs> devastated. It's just like, oh, shit. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> Oh, and then you can see Denzel and Denzel and fucking Gene Hackman. Well, that's egg on my face. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, yep. Oh, is it too well, late to launch me. now? Should Should we just launch for you know, just like just to just, just you say just, say we did, you know? But but yeah, inter it's interesting stuff. It's it's just fascinating shit. It always makes. Oh yeah, the abyss. The abyss had some fantastic oh, shit in there. Yeah. Okay, that's oh god, I fucking love that. It's those ideological conflicts that that fucking drive the horror. I love it. All right, well, we got one more to jump on, and this is uh, definitely going up in quality because I've been looking forward to talking about this one for a while. So, Eugene, what do we got for our last one? All right, so we're ending on a very, very good movie. And to answer Tom's question, it is not the crappy TV show. It is the actual legitimate movie. We have The Dead Zone released October 21st, 1983. Roll it. You talk about ideological shit, like, right here.
that's how you know it was a good movie when we're all fucking quiet while we're watching it. Yeah, that. <laughs> we're just like, See, yeah, walk and just talk to me. Just, just, just. just, just <laughs> tell so me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So that is The Dead Zone, directed by David Cronenberg, based off of The Dead Zone by... Christopher Walken, Brooke Adams, Tom Sherritt, Herbert Loom, Anthony Zerby, Colin Dehurst, and the esteemed Martin Sheen. And basically, you have a guy who's in a car accident. He wakes up from a coma in five years and develops a psychic ability. And I'll say, shit gets real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will say it. This is this is a fantastic movie because right off the bat, when we talk about ideologies from the last film, is where they start diving into is like, well, if you knew what Hitler could do, would you shoot? Would you kill him ahead of time? What? Just because you see a vision, do you believe the vision? Do you not believe the vision? And it goes this, this incredible dance of back and forth of like how. Because it's like he can see things that's happening present thing. He can see things that happen in the future uh, by touching the dead, by touching somebody who's still alive. And it just kind of kind of has this this dance that's back and forth on how people should proceed with the information that they know. And it's a it's fantastic. Uh, Tony Regime would like to say, how did Eugene manage to mispronounce Herbert Lom's name? I had a 50-50 shot on the last name. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's his thing, man. Don't 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 yeah, that, it because it's, it's his shit. If, if it's <laughs> an American or English name, I'm going to mispronounce it. Rodolfo Zave said, "I kept waiting for the doc to say Clouseau." He's like, "Yes, yeah. uh, yes, an excellent reference there, uh, Rodin. Absolutely, Herbert Lom. I mean, so many legendary actors in this. You have fantastic character actors. I mean, obviously Christopher Walken, legendary Christopher Walken. You got Brooke, Brooke Adams as well. Fucking Tom Skerritt, who we mentioned, who was Dallas and alien. You know, Tom Skerritt was you know amazing." And he was such an asshole in contact. I recently rewatched that again. It's like, God, he was a dick. But he's a oh, he's phenomenal. Herbert Lom, legendary actor. And then, of course, fucking Martin Sheen. There's like nothing that man can't do as the as uh, as the uh, the uh, the evil politician at the end. But this is, I would have to say it's like I, I think you all can agree. I think you know, if you have things to say about that. This is this is a near perfect adaptation, if not a perfect That's, adaptation. I was gonna say this is I considered by me to be one of the best or if not the best king adaptation to date i mean it, it, he nails it, it's wild because you read a king book and then you see a movie and they're always pretty off most of them are pretty good you know like the mist <laughs> i feel like our entire weekend horror career always goes back to the mist but you know okay you, you so, take, yeah, just the, the mist but i mean i mean you had shawshank green yeah, Isle. Uh, thank you so great, much just, great. just 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 chef's kiss mist Okay, you know, like, yeah. but I, I will I throw Christine. I'll throw Christine up in there. I will. I'll do. But but Dead Zone, top three. Seriously, probably the best. Oh, I yeah. mean, the fucking yeah. just the melancholic tone that you get the entire movie. Yeah, and you oh, just that the okay that was what was fucking amazing. Imagine that Eugene when they were shooting up in Canada because they shot this up in you know because it's Cronenberg. The fucking David yeah. Cronenberg directing the shit. So when they shot this up there, they were uh, the area they were shooting was under a, an historic deep freeze. Like they had not been hit like that in a while. So the time they chose to shoot, the whole like everywhere was like that. So it was almost it was almost unbearable for the crew. It was so yeah. fucking cold. But they managed but, they but fucking but nailed it, it. Yes, what it lent itself to the production is just that starkness, you know, that that's 
Oh, so fucking the way good. the way that Christopher Walken, you know, portrays like you could just feel it, like the regret and just the disconnection from everything around him because nobody understands what's going on and and you get the the elements like like the Canadian the Canadian wilderness or not wilderness, but the Canadian backdrop um ties in perfectly with everything that King does, you know, his like his usual main, you know, cold northeast, you know, backdrop on everything. Mm-hmm. Everything lined up perfectly for this movie, including the way that Christopher Walken portrayed uh, Johnny, because it, it was just he he nailed, like I said, that melancholic feel, that that disconnection, because he can't connect with anybody around him because of the things that are happening to him. Nobody understands. They're like, shit. You get, you get that. I'm trying to come up with the words for it, but it's when you you don't the trust the distrust there we go that's the word the distrust of the things that are happening to you you know like eugene was saying do do i trust this vision what happens if i act on this vision and it turns out that i was wrong you would never know because you chose to act on the vision and just being that disconnected from everything around you having to focus on that kind of stuff is portrayed beautifully by walking his fucking facial expressions alone in the movie tell a story which is beautiful I love everything that, that came idea, together in this that, that idea of like with great power comes great responsibility that whole deal like that i love that we we often throw that that's a throwaway line it's like spider-man it's like well, when you know with great power comes great responsibility and that's what you you gotta do but if you really think about that and having that and the and the weight of that that's what's what, that's what's beautiful about it is it this movie is that what uh, what cronenberg explored in this script in this version of the script, because there's a whole story about how the movie, like you know, trying to get the movie made, but in this particular one, exploring the gravity of that, you having this power thrust upon you, and then all of a sudden having to deal like like you you can you have two roads, you can either just like you know, you know I'm not really gonna do it, or I have to like commit myself to this because this must be done, especially when facing you know, like the potential of like nuclear Armageddon and the end of the world. It's kind of like mm-hmm. what you know uh, the I loved how Walken. I think only Walken could have conveyed that. I think you know, he was the 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 one who could, the only one who could have done that and done it justice because he brought a level of humanity to Johnny Smith that obviously you know like Anthony Michael Hall couldn't do in the in the series. I did that level of gravitas that he that he brought to it. Not to mention this supporting cast all around him were all fucking phenomenal. And I love that you can juxtapose the extremity of like the Castle Rock killer and have that the the graphic notion of uh, the serial killer that's running around at the time and then you have a you have like it, it, Cronenberg does it so beautifully how he balances these moments and then he brings to the moment where he where the, the guy he reunites the dude with his sister who he thought he lost during the holocaust it's kind of like they were separated and it turns out she's like living like tw- like 40 like 40 minutes away and he's able to bring them just she's still alive it's like what and it, the little beautiful moments like that and then of course the whole sequence with the the kids on the ice is just it's so beautifully paced and edited, and it's shocking. And I think if anybody has never seen this film, you absolutely need to. First, I got to say thank you very much, Anna Annie, for the two gifted Week in Horror memberships. Uh, thank you. Uh, welcome new uh, members to the Army of the Dead. So thank you very, very much. Enjoy those emojis that I've created for you and all the channel badges as well. Um, the crazy thing about this one is that the way it started, the way it kicked off when they were going to adapt this one is that initially there were like five scripts that were going around for this fucking thing. <laughs> and nobody could really decide on where they wanted to go. And then even Stephen King himself was was invited to do an adaptation, like to bring that in. And then Cronenberg got his hands on that was like, and I shit you not, I'm not knocking King here, 
But Cronenberg got this like, what the fuck is this? It was like <laughs> absolutely just like all over the place and just, you know, chaotic. It's just unne- all this unnecessary exposition. So it took a long time to to boil this script down to something really, really solid. And what's really I thought was fascinating was originally um uh, uh what's that? originally um fucking fucking Christopher Walken was not the first choice to play Johnny Smith. Originally it was supposed to be the dude who wound up playing the uh the serial killer, the Castle Rock killer. So they swapped uh or the heat so he was brought in. So I thought there was some interesting narrowing down to get it done, but this is what I wanted to get into. And first and foremost, <clears throat> thank you, Zero, and welcome to the uh, chat. Thank you so much, Zero, for being here. For hey. 50, hey. Ron, I don't oh, I don't know what Ron is. Do you, <laughs> you guys know what Ron is? It's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what Ron is. I'm fucked up. Uh, but, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm but regardless, Zero, thank you so much. We appreciate every single yeah. donation. And um, it's, it's people like you that oh, help keep the Romanian, show going. Romanian Lou? Romanian Lou. Thank you. For ten for, for 50 Romanian Lou, thank you so much, Zero. We appreciate that. He says, uh, for that super chat, he says, I like, I like the later Cronenberg work. I'm afraid to watch the early ones because they are a bit low special effects. Um, Cronenberg's early stuff is also is fascinating as well. I, I don't think I've never seen a Cronenberg film that I did not like. I thank you. Yeah. Romanian Lou. I think Cronenberg, I think this movie stands out because it was not Cronenberg's standard fare. And that's what makes it great because I love it when artists push themselves into areas that they don't normally work. Cronenberg typically body horror, you know, really, really deep kind of like internalization of, of of particular gruesome concepts. I like that he did this one, and it was it was not his regular brand. It's very minimal, right? Cool. Oh, just pretty much throughout. So, uh, zero. If you have not seen Dead Zone, I highly highly recommend yeah. because it's just, just pure characterization just throughout the entire film and and i like how it does it touches on certain things where you have this ability and the ability triggers when you touch somebody and it goes into we, we talked about where great uh, great power comes great responsibilities like do you act on it do you even say anything at all whatsoever do you do you keep it to yourself or do you expect no one to believe you? And is it a lot of eternal conflict that goes on that a lot of this portrayed with Christopher Walken's eyes right? and performance? And I will tell you, Martin Sheen running for Senate, that is the picture-perfect politician. Somebody who's charismatic in front of people that's just slimy, that you just know that's just 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 is power hungry and i mean martin sheen, martin sheen can't do wrong at all i love that moment i, I did that moment when he comes with it like they're in there in the crowd and like the meet and greet and he shakes his hand and then like you like like walking's looking at him and but there's a moment there because uh, you think about it hey i depend you to ho thanks so much for being here um so when they shake hands and johnny's getting his vision of what's going to happen there's a moment, and I love this. Now, normally you think like, 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 who's this weird guy shaking my hand? This is fucking like weird. And she just like, he's like, oh, he's, he won't let go, you know. You, you, but you don't get that moment. You, you for a moment, you get there. It's almost like Martin Sheen knew, like he knows what he is. Like he, like the character knows deep down, like what he is. And it was almost like it wasn't like the fear of this weird guy won't let go of my hand. It was this guy knows, like this guy sees who sees me for who I am, sees me for what I am. Like there was a recognition, like 
it's like, oh shit, he like saw behind the mask. Yes. Fuck. There was like an almost fear. Like when he shakes his hand, all of a sudden he realizes something, then they they lock eyes. It's like, and then he looks at him in that kind of like fear is like, oh shit. He like he sees me for what I really am. And he I need to like go now because I'm in danger. He because he knows. And it's like, and I and because and then when, when he's just like, holy, and then Christopher Walken's just looking at him like, you motherfucker. It's like, like, I know. It's like, oh shit, he know he knows. Fuck. And beautiful choice. Yeah, because it's so much. It's basically like that. You have this entire conversation and it's just looks. Yeah. That's what happens when you get two very powerful actors with a compelling script and you can have this conversation with no dialogue. Because if you just said, oh, you're going to blow up the world and all of a sudden get like a cheesy way out, then it would have been exactly that cheesy. But it's just like that moment of he knows. And then it's Christopher Walken <laughs> going realizing he's like, this is what he is. Yeah. And they just have that moment and they just lock. Beautiful. Yeah, that was it's just absolutely fantastic. You know, it's and the one thing that got me about it got me about the the one thing that I always found really interesting is and I started thinking about what separates, you know, solid king adaptations from the really, really bad ones. And what I found, what, what I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, maybe this is just my opinion on that. And thank you, Anna Annie, for another gifted uh membership to the uh, Army of the Dead. Thank you so much. Appreciate thank that, Anna Annie. Um, yeah, you wrote it the same. Show it, don't explain it. The big thing is that is that it takes a certain kind of director to mine for the brilliance in the story. That's the important thing. It's like I found that King's works, as good as they are, as big of, big of a fan as I am of King's works, is that oftentimes when you translate it into film, it's either you can take too much from the book or too little from the book. But you, but if somewhere within that, within that story he's telling, there is an excellent, like, you can mine out the brilliance, but you got to cut through all the, all the, you got to cut through all the rock to find the gems. And you see this in like an adaptation like 1408. 1408 took all of the excellent attributes of that story and wove them together and allowed excellent actors, John Cusack and uh, Samuel L. Jackson, to tell that story. But they, they all the unnecessary exposition, they left all that out. Just take the, just find the gems, string them together. And that's what Cronenberg did with uh the walk with, uh, sorry with the dead zone with the dead zone we don't have all the extraneous shit that's going on in castle rock all the extraneous character development that we don't need we don't we don't need to focus on the sheer brutality of certain aspects because those take away from the more poignant moments and the and johnny's humanity we don't want that overweight because the story is johnny's story okay so when you when you're able to like meld that like like dig that down and find that that's how you make a good king adaptation all the good ones have done this carpenter did it with christine and uh, Flanagan did it with Gerald's game. So you look at the good ones and you look, then you look at the bad ones, like the bad adaptations. And it's kind of like, holy shit. They just kind of like adapted the book or adapted the novella, you know, like thinner, thinner could have been so much better, but it wasn't night Flyer did the same thing. Night Flyer, you know, you take out the, the, the things that are solid and then you run with that. That's the important thing. And that's what Cron uh, the, the importance of the director Cronenberg is the driving force behind this and why the dead zone was so fucking good. Cinematography, the vision there, not to mention to you know get to get a chance to play outside of his wheelhouse. Thank you, Sarcasm, for the $5.69 super chat. It says, I am hereby bribing Eugene to talk about the cinematography. Because <laughs> you can't deny it. You can't fucking deny it. Thank you for that super chat, Sarcasm. Appreciate that. And thank you, NA for the additional gifted weekend horror memberships. Welcome, new members of the Army of the Dead, and uh enjoy those emojis. 
So, you know what, Sarcasm? Let's dive into the cinematography of this one. The thing that's so brilliant about the cinematography and the use of camera movement is that the cinematography actually is constantly adding to the story. Good cinematography, you can take a movie and mute it and know pretty much exactly what's going on watching it because the shots themselves are detailing what's going on. The camera movement's motivated. Oh, one of the one of the best moments that I like is when he's getting the vision from the nurse about the house being on fire. And the fact that you're using practical effects, you're having the fire looks like it's in the it's in the hospital room as it's happening. And it's just this nice blend between the hospital room and her house where it's just, just like the seamlessness to it. That's what makes us that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it fascinating because they could have just. They could it could have just been a bad cut. They just could have cut to as this new location and kind of cross cut back and forth. But I like how they're like, well, let's put this together. That's the thing that I love about it. And what I love about it is the reveals. When you're having the girl come up on the gazebo, and it's like, okay, she knew the killer, but it's not showing the killer's face. And it doesn't come across as cheesy because the camera movement follows her around. Then you just see his back, but it still feels comfortable. And it's like, no, the director, Cronenberg, isn't ready to tell you who the killer is yet. And instead of it being like something that's annoying, it's more like you're on the edge of your seat and you're anticipating. Because I'm watching the scene like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And he's like, no, 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 no. It still gets me. It still gets me. That shot He's like, hey, come over here. Let me show you something. And he opens up the deal, and he's got the he's got his weapon. He's got the the scissors there, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's bad." That's yes, like, and just like that that simple moment. I and I love the, the minimalism of it, the white of the background, like in that particular scene, the black of the jacket, the shiny silver of the weapon itself. Everything is deli- is highlights that you know exactly what you need to be looking at. Which and is just on top it, of that, she has that pink coat on. Yes, so you have like that. You have this innocence. And you have the both of them together, and you can already pick up the undertone of what's going to happen because obviously they find her body first, and then he touches her hand, it goes back, and you're just kind of like this. Oh, how is this gonna be? And just reveal. I'm, I'm just telling you, one of the things this movie has is just how it reveals information. Every plot point that's introduced is methodically planned out from the very beginning to how he finds out that he has visions to the very end where he gets close to the assassination attempt every every plot point and that's all cinematography i still remember that and let me know in the live chat i'm just gonna i still remember that when he goes to do that and in that and that fucking asshole grabs that baby grabs her baby and as a human shield i was like it would. It was so, like it's. It, it wasn't like a dramatic reveal. It would just happen so fluidly, like it was just natural. Like grab the first thing you can and, and hold it up to the block. It just happened to be a baby. You know, it was kind of <laughs> like, how fucked is that? It's just like that. That's where he went. And then all of a sudden, it's not until after the moment, after the you know, like Johnny's you know been shot and he's on the ground. Oh shit! I'm holding a kid. It's like oh fuck. You know, it's like the monster's been revealed. And then when he touches him, he's like, and he realizes, no, nope, this dude, yeah, this guy's over. He's going to go the way of the warden in Shawshank. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah, it was like, oh, yeah, all is good in that. But I just, you know, the, the reveal of information and how things just flowed, the fucking pacing 
was just brilliant. You know, just rarely do you see a film paced paced as well as this. It takes it's those directors so like tight. Cronenberg, Darabont, mm. Carpenter, those individuals who know there's an almost music to it, you know? And you'll find that a lot of those directors, they, they have a musical background. They understand rhythm and how these notes play and when to crescendo and when to diminuendo. So that's what's important there. And I love how they convey that in a visual style. No, you're not wrong. It's it's super tight. That's the that's that's how this whole thing went. It was very tight, like you said, very fluid. And there's not a point where you're like like the fucking other movies we talked about tonight, where you're like, what? Everything is everything is put in front of you in a way that you can interpret it right before it happens. And that's that's what makes King stories good. Is something will happen and you're like, oh well, maybe it's this way. Something happened. Oh, maybe it's this way. And then you get right before the big reveal and you're like, oh, wait. And then it happens. And then you're like, what the fuck? You know, and yeah. So that's, it, it, he kept it super tight, this whole movie. And like you were saying earlier, this is, it's so far off of like Cronenberg's normal stuff, but he, it played very well because of the twisted mind of King and the way that Cronenberg dug out those pieces, flattened everything into this nice, perfect linear, uh, just set of reveal after reveal. It was great. It, it, right. It just up to that moment. Ugh. I'll say, I'll say, I got the feeling when it like, well, going back and watching this number, it's always a treat to go back and watch this because the nostalgia is there. You know, these scenes, they, they, in this movie is aged so well. It's still good today. You know, the whole, like the epic sequence and the epic sequence with the, with the, with the kids, when he sees the vision of the kids falling into the lake and, you know, into the, falling into the icy water gets me every time. There's so many moments. I still cry when he reunites this, reunites his doctor with a, with a, with his sister and everything. It gets me every time. And, it reminded me of like of like watching Barry Lyndon, because if you look at Kubrick's like Kubrick's entire filmography, if you look at what he, what he normally did, he like there was a lot of like really extreme stuff that Kubrick went. He went for like bigs. Barry Lyndon didn't go for bigs. Barry Lyndon was just picture perfect, you know, just straightforward by the book filmmaking. Nothing extreme, nothing big, telling it, telling a beautiful story, and that movie ostensibly is perfect. It really is because it's fucking Kubrick, but it's not Kubrick trying to like do something big like The Shining or 2001 or something of that nature. He's just telling the story. And I got the feeling it's like it's like watching a master say like like I was like, oh, OK, so I have I, the, the puzzle I'm putting together is not that complex today. This is I get a very Bob Ross feel. We're just going to like put a movie together today and it's just going to be fantastic. And this is how you do it. And it's fucking perfect. It's like. Yeah, that's why you're David Cronenberg. That's why you're Stanley <laughs> Kubrick. That's why you guys, you know, when you try to go for the big stuff, you can stumble and fall. Like Steven Spielberg, when he try when he goes for the really big things, you know, directors who take chances and go like go big, like Titanic, you know, that could have been a colossal fuck up, but it wasn't. It's Cameron. But I love it when these masterful directors just kind of like let's just pull things back a little bit. Let's just do a little, you know, classic filmmaking. Don't try to break budgets. Don't try to you know win awards. Don't try to like break the box office. Just make a movie and it's just beautifully sublime i love that that just you know. I, I love that and even when you have like uh mike flanagan who has done some super big budget films oh yeah and he always likes to put something in between or something small something like oculus oculus was big and went, went, went big but then you got gerald's game carlo gugino tied up on a bed whole movie yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Easy just, peasy. It's just that nice. And talking with and talking with people, I've had a chance to just chat with people who have worked with um, some super big names 
uh, I got a chance to chat with a guy who worked on Inception, uh, one of the art department people. And he's like, yeah, it was cool because they would drop twenty, thirty thousand dollars on one day for just props and all this other kinds of stuff. Holy shit! But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, us living in. Uh, all right, what's know, the prop the, budget? What's the prop budget today? A uh, house. Yeah. Like okay, <laughs> cool. That's some people's yearly income. All right, a, a home, an annual salary. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of cars. Dude, Jesus, like, like I got shit. twenty bucks. Yeah, so like, how much is gonna... it, how much is this camera rig we're working with? How much is this camera rig we're working with? Well, what well which country's GDP is where at this moment? <laughs> Just like what the fuck? But but you you sit there you talk to some of these filmmakers that are at that level and they're like honestly a lot of them like to go back and do something low budget because you it flexes your creativity. And, and you're also able to have more control of what you want to do versus you have 200 people on set and you have all these supervisors and managers versus now you get back to like why we got into filmmaking where you get the 20 person crew and instead of throwing money at a problem, no, you got 50 bucks to make this blood packet work and we're going to figure it out because that's, that's all so you got. Because we only got one. <laughs> Oh, and good to see you, left-handed Jedi. Thanks for so so much for popping in tonight. Uh, fantastic to see you. And uh, he says, uh, "Team up, I would have loved to see was HR Giger and Clive Barker. That would have been fucking amazing Ooh. if Barker had worked with Giger. Absolutely. Sadly, he did pass away, but uh, yeah. So that was that was a that would be that. Would, ooh, Clive Barker and like Hellraiser in the art. Hellraiser in the style of HR Giger. <laughs> Holy fuck." Okay, that's great. That's like that's going to give me some interesting dreams tonight. That really, really is. That's going to give me some interesting. All right, things. yeah, that's, 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 that's yeah, gonna, that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely. But okay, I want to go and I want to ask the audience: What do you consider is the best Christopher Walken horror film? That is a loaded question, man. You gotta be ah, the best Christopher Walken horror film. Holy shit! Um. Damn it! You know what? Uh, I'm gonna have to go with prophecy. I'm gonna have to go see, with the prophecy. prophecy. Prophecy was going to be my like first one. The prophecy is good. I'm gonna have to go with the prophecy uh, because him as Gabriel was the shit. You know, <laughs> Gates and Cooper said his hosting Saturday Night Live. <laughs> his hosting of Saturday Night Live was fucking amazing. Javers, yes. Left-handed Jedi as well. Prophecy, yes. Thank you for the prophecy. Cindy Sue, prophecy, yes. Yeah, prophecy films, absolutely. Down. So yeah, I'm gonna have to say the prophecy because him as Gabriel, that was he was just fucking amazing. That it was not just him, but his the supporting cast as well, like Eli, you know, like Elias Codius, and then of course Viggo Mortensen and Virginia Madsen. Just fantastic storytelling. But I loved him because it's so he's so like you know it was. This guy, he's a vile fucking monster, but he's got this kind of like glib attitude towards shit. He's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm doing my Christopher Walken thing. But he's a fucking like renegade angel and shit. I fucking loved it. Yeah, he would, uh, Prophecy's got to be my favorite. There's there's a there's a couple others. Uh, I love his cameo in Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Headless Horseman. That, yes. And then a real underrated film of his where he can command a room is Suicide Kings. Suicide Kings was good. Good, a good little, uh, a good little thriller. 
Um, there is one uh, that came out back in 95. Uh, was a vampire flick that he did with, um, if I remember, <clears throat> if I remember her name, um, what the hell? Oh, what the hell? I've totally spaced. Uh, Lily Taylor, right? Uh, him and Lily Taylor. And it was a vampire film called The Addiction that was directed by Abel Ferrara, who did, uh, who directed Driller Killer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And The Addiction was really good. It was very stylistic. Very Ferrara is kind of like very dirty, edgy style, stylism, but that was a really fascinating one. That was a fascinating horror film. <clears throat> so so many good so many good Sam examples. Looking at the chat, we got a lot of love for prophecy. We got a little bit from Sleepy Hollow. We got Stepford Wives. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. There we Rodan go. Say, oh, Rodan's name. The addi- yeah, the addiction. Thank you, Rodan's name. Uh, Extra J. His scene in True Romance with Dennis Hopper. That is one of his legendary scenes. When Dennis Hopper realizes, and you can see it, when Dennis Hopper realizes, I'm not making this out of making out of this, I'm not getting out of this alive. I'm not. So fuck it. I'm gonna insult this motherfucker right to his goddamn face. And then Christopher Walken is just kind of like, holy shit, man. We could be friends if I did if I didn't have to do this. You know, then it's like he's like, just like I fucking love this guy. And then and then you know, then he pops it. But that was then the two of them was just fucking amazing. Uh, so many, and I think the Sentinel as well. The Sentinel was another one that he was in. So yeah, yeah. the Sentinel was good back in '77. The Sentinel, we got. Of course, we got to mention Deer Hunter. I mean, uh, that it's just, it's just oh. okay. Well, we're we're not trying to go. We're not trying to like depress. Okay, right? yeah. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, I. That was yeah. Deer and Hunter gets me. <laughs> and then we'll end on the speech he does in Pool Hall Junkies because that speech <laughs> is amazing. Just straight up. Don't just beat him. Kick his ass. I fucking love, yeah, I fucking love that sequence. I really do. You have to remind Absolutely. the jackals who's the king. Like who he is. Who he is. Yeah. So yeah, but definitely let us know down in the comments below or of course at weekendorgmail.com what you think the best Christopher Walken horror film is. There's so many good ones to choose from, but definitely let us know. All right, Alex, it's uh, Raven Darkstar's favorite time of the week. You know what time it is? I think it's trivia time. <laughs> That's for you, Raven. <laughs> fucking love that shit. I know Raven, Raven loves it too. Oh, she's at ear, ears plugged. <laughs> oh. No, I don't want to hear it. Yes, it is trivia time. So the very first person to get the correct answer in the live chat, we've got the live chat up right now, to, uh, to this trivia question wins a special item from the Week in Horror Store from the Season 5 line. We all knew Season 5 stuff. <clears throat> Sticker, T-shirt, limited you know, we, uh, uh, the pint glass looks really fucking cool. I'm just going to tell you that. The new the new Season 5 pint glass looks amazing. Oh, that would, yeah, that would be cool. Sure, I haven't looked at it. I'm not uh, first person to get it. So, Alex. What do we? Have? I'm right, still hoping. I'm still hoping somebody's gonna send me a picture of the shit gets real puzzle, like assembled and framed. I need to. On their I need wall. to I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'll, I'll get it soon. Get some puzzle glue. <laughs> I'll buy the puzzle glue if you buy the puzzle. Deal. All right. Tonight's trivia question: What legendary actor was Stephen King's first pick to play Johnny Smith in The Dead Zone? One more time. What legendary actor was Stephen King's first pick? Stephen King's first pick to play Johnny Smith in the Dead Zone. 
And hey, Doctor Who Design, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Appreciate it. <laughs> Dick Bear. I think he's at the start because he said Dick Bear. I think he's at the start of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not going to hear what I just said. Um, oh, we got some answers here. Let me see. Uh, zero. No, it wasn't Marlon Brando, but a good but a good guess. Oh, Marlon Brando would have been fucking great in that one. Hey. Uh, Tony Regime said David Carradine. No, it wasn't David Carradine. Uh, it wasn't Paul Rubens either. Uh, I got Rob Robert Bader. Biter. Yes, Biter, I got Robert Biter. Biter. Yes, right. Robert, Robert Biter. Biter is correct. Yes. Fucking Bill, Bill fucking Bill Murray. fucking Murray. Murray. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's not your last name. I don't mean to gush. But yes, it was originally Stephen King. See, Cronenberg wanted the guy who went on to play the Castle Rock Killer to be the, to be the actual killer. To, to be Johnny. But the, uh, he didn't get that. Stephen King wanted Bill Murray as Johnny Smith in the dead zone. Which, you know, eh? There's a reason Stephen King is not a casting director. I'm yes, that, that's a kind of a stretch for me. I'm not. Even, I'm not knocking Bill Murray's acting chops. That's just not. Raven Dark says Bill, like, Bill Murray. Bill yeah, Murray. Bill yeah. Murray. Bill fucking Murray. Same oh, one. And, and Robert Biter says, "I already. Um, I already won one. I seed it to the second winner. Oh, very, very generous of you, Ooh, Robert Biter. So that would be Javers. Javers." Who came in second? Javers, you, you get the prize because Robert Biter sending it over to you. Very nice. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Very generous of you. So congratulations to our winners. Congratulations to Robert Biter for getting that right. Javers, who came in like immediately after second. You won it, so we're going to get that printed and sent to you as quickly as possible, Javers. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Fucking Bill Murray. Could you imagine that? Bill, I mean, yes, but it's not great. That's a big. That's a big BM. <laughs> oh, fucking Bill Murray. <laughs> Who's Bill Murray? That's like asking who Gandhi is. Who's Gandhi? You know, tw- I've she's never... 12. <laughs> I've never hit a child before, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill me with my own gun! <laughs> I fucking love Woody Harrelson. Oh, it's fucking great. Should have been Adam Sandler? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I can't go. Oh, oh, that, oh, he just reminded me. Christopher Walken and Click. Oh, yeah. oh as, as the angel oh, of death yeah, yeah. Uh, ah there's something yeah there's something to think about because he was just a small part like that and he fucking knocked it out of the water absolutely all mm-hmm. right well that horror fiends will conclude another episode of the week in horror podcast <laughs> i want to thank you all so much for joining us we truly hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please smash those like and subscribe buttons And be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the Canadian folk horror, The Pit, the indie undead effort, Zombie Honeymoon, the experimental demonic love story, Low, and the psychological horror, Deadly Dreams. Be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at BadSamurai.Story. It does all the awesome artwork you see splattered all over our merchandise, which you can find over at Teespring. For more from Week in Horror, check out all the bloody links that are down in the description. Follow us on the socials for the Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. And support the show through channel memberships with the Army of the Army of the Dead, Super Chats, PayPal, or even through our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. What are you waiting for? Join us. As always, thank you all for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could possibly have. We fucking love you all. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. I'm Alex. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared.